Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. We welcome back on this episode Micah Hanks, one of our favorites on the Paracast with lots of stuff to talk about. Our guest co-host, once again, Tim R. Swartz of ConspiracyJournal.com. Say, I brought my own microphone. Wow. Uh, that's a, that's a Simpsons joke for any uh, Simpsons fans out there. After 26 years or 56 years of Simpsons, I can honestly say I've never watched an episode. Uh, you missed a lot. No doubt, no doubt. I'm not going to ask Micah about Simpsons. But I did want to say something that's not really to laugh at. It's kind of sad news. One of our longtime forum members was a guy named Gogs Mackay gentleman from Scotland. He also co-hosted the PowerCast a few times. Unfortunately, we learned that he died recently, which is real sad news because we really enjoyed working with Gogs. He was a great guy, had the most terrific accent ever, pure Scottish brogue. And I just invite you listeners to come to theparacast.com. That URL is banned by Facebook, I understand. Go to theparacast.com. And check out his participation and also at the shows in which he participated also. Tim, I know you follow the forums from time to time. Do you remember Goggs? Yes. Yes, I do. Um, it's It's been a while since he was uh, uh, on last. But, uh, yeah, I mean, he had such a great voice and uh, I always enjoyed listening to him. So uh, it, that's very sad news. He'll be missed. Let's get to some other news that's more pleasant. And maybe Micah wants to talk about this. I got a note from Phyllis Galdi of Fate Magazine the other day. Next year, Fate will be 75 years young. I talk about a real institution right there. Fate Magazine and Phyllis, of course, near and dear to my heart. You guys know a few years ago, she actually moved down to Western North Carolina, close to where I live. And so I'm able to see Phyllis a little more frequently Nowadays, but we'd always stayed in touch, and uh, I understand that she enjoys the Appalachian weather. I'm not enjoying any of that right now because I'm currently down in southern Brazil, as I think I told you guys. But uh, indeed, fate has probably written about this country and, in fact, other countries on the South American continent over the years and really locales all around the world. It's truly, I think, uh, represented in many ways the global presence of everything from what now is called UAP. Long-timers will know it as UFOs. And a range of other topics. So, indeed, that's wonderful news. Although I'm also a little sad to hear about the passing of Gogs. I remember him very well. Always enjoyed when he was a co-host here on the Paracast, guys. Now, Brazil is one of the earlier countries to really take UFOs or UAPs seriously. Explain that, please. I know you did an article about it for the debrief of which you're editor-in-chief. Yes, indeed, I did. And uh, that article kind of came as a surprise to me because I came to Brazil for the very first time last September at the invitation of some friends and uh, actually visited an area called Chapada dos Viaderos, which has a bit of a history involving UAP uh, in and of itself, which we can come back around to a bit later. As far as the recent article, that came as a surprise to me because I got down here with no knowledge at the time that the Brazilian Senate was about to pass uh, what they call a requirement, which is calling for hearings forthcoming about the UAP subject. And this is going to be, uh, as I understand it, 
roughly coinciding with World UFO Day, which many celebrate uh, on the same date that is recognized as the date that Kenneth Arnold famously saw these objects over Mount Rainier back in 1947. Not only did I learn about this when I was down here, and this was quite fortuitous, me being in Brazil, but I reached out to our friend A.J. Javar, the publisher of the Brazilian UFO magazine, and he said, oh, by the way, Micah, we're holding our 25th annual UFO Congress, Brazilian UFO Congress, that is, uh, right here in the city of Curitiba. That's where I happen to be staying. And he said, uh, you're invited to attend. Uh, and so I did. And uh, it was great to finally meet AJ in person. I'm having dinner with him. Uh, but also, of course, with all these developments ongoing. And as you mentioned, Gene, there's a long history of this in Brazil. I mean, I, go, I think going all the way back to around 1954, the Brazilian Air Force had initially acknowledged that there was a phenomenon Many countries were still kind of trying to figure out whether there was one. In the United States, there was the official formal Project Blue Book, which was the third iteration of the Air Force's investigations into this. Uh, might not be considered the third if you consider when the Air Force began, but we won't split hairs here. It was the third official military <laughs> investigation by the uh, United States government. But about 1954, the Brazilian government also came out and said, look, there are objects. We can't identify them. We don't know their provenance. And this is a real issue. And that was the first of many different government programs in Brazil that have looked at this. Uh, my favorite and one of the most notable that came in decades you know, afterward included the Operação Prato or Operation Saucer back in the late 1970s that involved the sightings that were occurring around Colares, Brazil around that time. So, yeah, there's a deep history of involvement. And, of course, I believe it was uh, – uh, was it Olivo Fontes, I believe, was also a correspondent with APRO back in the day. Yes, he was one of their active members in the early days. Now, A.J., by the way, has been on the Paracast a few times, and we hope to have him back in the near future. He was telling us about this case involving, I guess, what you could call Brazil's Roswell. Yeah, I believe that would be the uh, Virginia case, probably. And this was an incident that occurred yes. a few decades ago. Uh, James Fox, of course, has been down here making a documentary. And everybody initially assumes, oh, that must be why you're in Brazil, right, Micah? Believe it or not, I was down here entirely separate from James Fox's endeavors. But again, he's made this film, and I hear from those who have seen the screeners that it's very good. But yes, Virginia involved uh, several eyewitness accounts of an alleged humanoid creature uh, that was observed there at Virginia. I have not been to that town. It's several hours away from where I'm currently located. But of course, I do hope to get there at some point. Now, everybody goes back and forth. It's just like Roswell. We, we could talk all day about the pros and the cons with Roswell. Same thing with the Virginia case. Uh, but I'll abstain from passing judgment until I've seen James Fox's film because at the Congress the other day, there was a presentation given on the Virginia case that we attended. And indeed, they say that now there are many military testimonies that have been forthcoming, recordings. People have gone on the record and said that they know that there was more that actually happened than, than what is popularly reported, especially by skeptics. And James Fox claims that there's also some footage, as I understand it, that he's obtained that's somehow related to it, which we haven't heard a whole lot about at the current time. Maybe we will in the weeks ahead. One of the unfortunate things about the phenomenon is that they were limited in the amount of time they could present a film. If you look at the closing credits, for example, they have more instances of UFO lore during those closing credits, and there's a lot of footage that was never released. And I'm kind of hoping that someday he will release a director's cut. You know, like we have the Snyder Cut of Justice League, which added one hour of content. Maybe we'll have a Fox Cut 
of the phenomenon <laughs> with another hour of material because there's just so much there. Or he can do a sequel. Oh, yeah. But, and yeah. Well, I was going to mention that many people, of course, have commented on the fact, and this was news to me at the time that when the phenomenon came out, uh, there was footage from the famous incident. Well, it was more of a, a you know a set of circumstances than an incident. It didn't involve UFOs apart from testimony that was provided before the United Nations. But yes, in Fox's film, it was footage of the UFO presentation that was given to the United Nations back, I think, in was it '77, maybe, uh, and this was kind of arranged by Lee Spiegel. I had never seen footage from that where, you know, Jacques Vallée, J. Allen Hynek and others were in attendance. But as Lee Spiegel has told me, he's obtained all the footage and apparently he had had an agreement uh, such that this footage actually belonged to him. He thought it had been lost forever. He managed to obtain it yet again. And the United Nations supported his case that the footage and the rights to it essentially belonged to him. And so now he has begun to, uh, you know, include snippets of this footage in some lectures that he's given and some things. And so I'm very glad that that little bit of UFO history has also come to light. We've got a lot more to talk about with Micah Hanks. He's editor-in-chief of The Debrief, and he's got, of course, his own various pursuits, such as a podcast. So we'll ask about them later. Our guest co-host is Tim Swartz of Conspiracy journal.com where they have what the information that they do not want you to know about you're in the paracast hey listeners i want you to have the entire paracast experience so i'd like to tell you about after the paracast After the Paracast is an exclusive feature for subscribers to the Paracast Plus. With After the Paracast, you never know what's going to happen next. After the Paracast features color commentary, special interviews, and further conversations with Paracast guests. With Paracast Plus, you can download a very special enhanced version of the Paracast also. We do offer exclusive music, videos, and more features are coming. To get more info about subscribing, please visit theparacast.plus. Once again, theparacast.plus. Prices are just $1.50 a week, less than a cup of coffee at your local convenience store. Check out theparacast.plus to learn more about Paracast Plus. Are you ready to retire? Inflation is picking up, the markets are volatile, and the dream of a comfortable retirement is harder to attain than ever before. The stock market goes up and down is beyond your control. But you're at a point in your life where you can't afford to make big financial mistakes. I'm Al Iberoa, founder of Knight Strategic Wealth. Our investment strategy allows you to go up with the stock market, lock in your gains, and when the stock market goes down, your investment won't lose a dime. This works for your investments, savings at a brokerage firm, or even money at a bank. It's simple, it's safe, and that's why savvy investors work with us. Want to learn more? Text FREE to 833-898-0500, and we'll send our retirement readiness kit directly to your phone right now. If you want to help build a retirement portfolio that will go up with the market and literally never lose money, get our retirement readiness kit today and see how this strategy can help secure your future. Text FREE to 833-898-0500. Text FREE to 833-898-0500.
Do the letters IRS give you anxiety? I'm Dan Pilla. I've defended people from the IRS for more than 40 years. My book, How to Get Tax Amnesty, created the tax resolution industry and is responsible for helping hundreds of thousands of people. It can help you, too. If you're a non-filer or facing IRS enforcement right now, your case is unique. You need real help, not cookie-cutter advice. My clients get my personal attention. Buy my book at danpilla.com and get a free consultation directly with me. That's danpilla.com. Let's start solving your tax problem right now. Hey folks, Tom D for ParanormalDate.com. Are you looking for love in all the wrong places? Now you have a chance to change that by signing up free at ParanormalDate.com. This incredible dating site puts people of like minds together. People who are interested in the strange, the unusual, ghosts, zombies, UFOs, crop circles, and more. ParanormalDate.com was developed for you. People who seek a little more than the other dating services offer. You can join for free by going to ParanormalDate.com. And if you decide you like it and you want to connect with others, use the code GEORGE for a substantial discount. So many people want to share their experiences with the paranormal, the afterlife, the unusual. And this is the place to meet and share common interests with those of like minds. So sign up for free at ParanormalDate.com. That's ParanormalDate.com. Use the code word George and start meeting others. Get going now and connect with someone you like. Hey, Jimmy, turn off the video games. Let's go play some ball. I'm in the middle of my game. Can't we go later? Come on, it'll be fun. It will be there when you get back. Okay, but there's no way you're going to win. Why don't you grab some water and granola bars and then we'll see about that. You can make a difference. Eat smart, play hard. And when you do, your kids will too. A challenge from USDA. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. Micah Hanks joins us. He's talking to us from Brazil. And the reason I mention that is the Internet connection may not be perfect. Although so far it's pretty good. But just in case he gets a little warbly, it's not because he's drinking some stuff. It's because the powers that be are preventing it. How's that for paranoia, right, Micah? Oh, yes, yes. I'm laying off the cachaça today. The caparinhas are delicious cocktails, but I'm not going to be partaking. It's only uh, what we call the extra forte coffee for right now. And, yeah, I'm glad that the Internet is holding up because, uh, as I was telling you guys, we recently – had an internet outage throughout the entire city of Curitiba, where almost all internet connectivity had been lost. And, of course, this coincided with another show I was supposed to be on, so we had a mayday, mayday, red alert situation here. (laughs) Finally got it worked out. I was able to connect via a landline and call in. And that's a beautiful thing. Back in the day, making a a last-minute, long-distance phone call like that would have cost you a lot of money. Nowadays, connectivity is such that researchers can more frequently and very easily be in touch from all around the world. And it makes me have a profound appreciation for those researchers way back decades ago who had to use the actual post service, you know, the mail, the actual U.S. Postal Service. They had to use landline telephones to contact each other, and they paid hefty fines when they did or or, or if they were so lucky as to be able to be invited on a program. Sometimes these radio stations would pick up the tab and pay the cost of those long-distance calls, but usually they were having to foot the bill themselves. So 
The World Wide Web, when it works, has really made things a lot easier, hasn't it? Well, here's a little bit of history. The co-founder of Apple, Incorporated, Steve Jobs, and Steve Wozniak, the other co-founder, before they got started setting up Apple, they would sell what they called blue boxes in the 1970s. And the blue box was something that allowed you to circumvent the interstate telephone system so you can make free telephone calls. Yes, it was not legal. <laughs> yes, but this is going to be the best friend of any UFO researcher, right? <laughs> well, yeah, we need blue boxes. Now, no, Skype is free. My son and I talk with WhatsApp. He lives in Madrid, so the only way to really see what he's doing and what he's up to is to use WhatsApp. Indeed, yeah. WhatsApp's very popular here in Brazil as well. And, you know, we, we rely on similar video conferencing services so I can keep in touch with family back at home. Now, a quick question, Gene. The blue boxes that Mr. Jobs at Al were selling that had no relation to Blue Book, right? This was something that generated tones. Remember when they switched to touchstone <laughs> calling? All right. you had to do is produce those tones when you made a phone call. But in this case, it apparently generated those tones and circumvented the phone lines. Of course, you see, they could have been arrested. They could have been put in jail. And where would Apple be then? <laughs> right. Wouldn't have uh, fared very well for history, especially for we Mac users in the audience. huh? <laughs> I'm looking, for example, at my workflow right now. We use a program called Audio Hijack to capture the audio from Skype connection with Tim and Micah and my studio mic and mixer and mixes that and each one I could manipulate with different kinds of compression and noise reduction, all that sort of stuff. There is no Windows equivalent of that program. So yes, we use a Mac here. Anyway, let's go back to Brazil and the fact that Brazil, of course, is taking the subject quite seriously. But when looking at the programs there, for some reason, and you can explain maybe why, we in the States didn't always take events in South America, UFO events, quite as seriously because they seem to be more extreme, if you get my point. Yeah, most certainly. The extremity of UFO cases is an interesting thing because, you know, whether we're talking about Brazil or we're talking about, you know, the famous cases from stateside, uh, many would argue that Although there has been a lot more attention put on UAP, as they prefer to call it these days, you know, allegedly borrowing that from the uh, Brits who I think had actually uh, used this in their Condon report. But I've actually found references to unidentified aerial phenomena dating back to the 40s in uh, U.S. intelligence documents as well that have been obtained by researchers. But that's neither here nor there. Again, yeah, the severity of these cases seem to be a far greater decades ago, and there are a lot of different interpretations of that. You know, why... Is it the case that, for instance, in 1973, we had all these, you know, landing incidents, the sightings that were occurring around 1973, you know, involved everything from purported humanoid encounters, abductions, some of these high profile cases like the Pascagoula incident, uh, the coin encounter and others. And so one might ask, you know, why were things so much more severe during those cases where many people claim to see objects up close? There were landings, there were occupants. Nowadays, people are describing little objects, you know, very indistinct. Sometimes they aren't seen unless they are seen through the cockpit displays on board the FA-18 Super Hornet jets that the Navy pilots are flying or the uh, Adflair targeting pod that they're equipped with. So, I mean, it's interesting that although we hear a lot more about credible accounts involving UAP in the modern era, 
we don't hear as much as far as the kinds of stories that really had been decades ago what caused researchers both in North America and in South America and other parts of the world to say, well, it's no longer anything that can be denied. The UFO presence is real. They are here. They are landing. They are occupied. This is legitimate. Indeed. Yeah, well, I think the question we always have here is why the tenor of setting reports can, would change like that. Now, obviously, the skeptics would say, well, the people in South America, well, they drank more than Americans. But, you know, that's kind of really, that's kind of almost hate speech. You don't say that about people. You know, I think people fundamentally are the same everywhere. Yes, I would agree. I recall, in fact, that uh, many years ago, The Economist, and this, of course, was prior to 2017 when everyone's renewed interest in this topic you know, became such a big deal and which really kind of remains true today. You may remember when The Economist did this piece where they were talking about uh, a statistical analysis of UAP sightings. And they said that you know people are more likely to see UFOs between this hour and this hour on weeknights and especially on the weekends. And this, of course, perfectly coincides with the hours that most people are drinking at bars and restaurants. And so the obvious correlation must be made that UFOs occur when people are drinking. And I remember being offended by that because, again, first of all, anyone who has any understanding of the scientific method knows that even if you find a correlation, that doesn't necessarily mean that there's a causal relationship between those two elements. Correlation, i.e., does not mean causation necessarily. You know, we could give all kinds of examples of things that might happen at the same time or events that might occur coinciding with one another but don't have any kind of relationship. It would be hard to make the argument that alcohol is the single factor that causes people to see UFOs or that more UFO sightings occur when people are drinking. Think of all the other things people are doing. So we're delighted to have Micah Hanks, our special guest co-host, is Tim Swartz of ConspiracyJournal.com, where they provide the news they don't want you to know. And by the way, Micah will also be a guest this week on our premium show after the Paracast. After the Paracast is available, as most of you know, only to subscribers of the Paracast Plus. And for more information, you want to check out the Paracast.plus. That's exactly as I said it, the Paracast.plus. You're in the Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. Now with orders to stay at home, public health concerns, the reality of illness due to pathogens and viruses. Your health is at an all-time high risk. That's why it's critical to take a proactive approach to boost your immune system. You can with new nano-colloidal silver from AmeriCare. Our patented process with tiny silver particles, one one-hundredth the size of a red blood cell, allows for maximum body absorption. AmeriCare's nano-colloidal silver effectively disinfects your body internally, attacking pathogens and viruses while supercharging your immune system. Colloidal silver is antibacterial and antiviral. Simply put, it prohibits bacterial respiration, suffocating viral cells, preventing the virus from replicating. And now, due to public health concern, AmeriCare is authorized to offer our lowest and best price ever, around a dollar a day. But supplies are limited. Purchase nano-colloidal silver now at ImmuneSupportNow.com. That's ImmuneSupportNow.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Supplies are limited.
USA Radio News with Kenneth Burns. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky says the length of the war in his country and the number of Ukrainians killed will be decided by how quickly its friends supply the country with weapons and enforce an oil embargo against Russia. Oleksandr Vilkul, head of Ukraine's military administration, told CBS News that they can't win the war without more weapons. We need fighter jets, tanks, missiles, the whole spectrum of weapons. The White House says another $800 million in weapons should arrive in Ukraine soon. The Kremlin warned the U.S. in a diplomatic note doing that could bring unpredictable consequences. Ten people were shot. Two others are hurt in a shooting at a South Carolina mall. Three people have been detained. Authorities don't believe the shooting was random. Wall Street was closed on Friday due to the holiday. However, for the week, it closed in the red. This is USA Radio News. A South Carolina prisoner has opted for a firing squad when he is put to death later this month. 57-year-old Richard Bernard Moore is the first prisoner in the state to face the choice of execution methods after a law that went into effect last year, making electrocution the default option. Moore has been on death row for more than two decades after being convicted of the 1999 murder of a convenience store clerk in Spartanburg. Some employees at Verizon stores in Washington State voted to unionize on Friday. The stores in Everett and Linwood, north of Seattle, are the first unionized Verizon stores outside of New York City. The Everett Daily Herald reports employees and supporters watched the vote count on Zoom. Verizon did not call the paper back for comment on the vote. The $50,000 reward leading to the suspect in the Brooklyn subway shooting will be split among five people. The information led to the arrest of Frank R. James. The 62-year-old is currently being held without bail in a federal detention center. You're listening to USA Radio News. I am a non-attorney spokesperson representing a team of lawyers who help people that have been injured or wronged. If you've been involved in a serious car, truck, or motorcycle accident or injured at work, you have rights and you may be entitled to money for your suffering. Don't accept an offer you get from an insurance company until you talk to a lawyer. And we represent some of the best personal injury lawyers you can find. Tough lawyers that will fight to win your case. And they're so good they stake their reputation on it by only getting paid if you win. So if you've been in a serious car, truck, or motorcycle accident or hurt on the job, find out today for free what kind of compensation you may be entitled to. Call the legal helpline right now. 800-509-4492. 800-509-4492. That's 800-509-4492. Clark, author of the UFO Encyclopedia and other books. You're listening to the Paracast. What about kids? Kids getting drunk and they see UFOs? You think those seven-year-old kids who see something strange, well, they just drank too much of the sauce? That's a good question. Well, you know, again, in the evenings, children are outside playing. People who have gotten off from work to be at home enjoying you know, an afternoon outside on the porch, especially if it's warmer weather, they may be working in their gardens. These are all circumstances that in my own personal experience over the years, I've had people tell me that they were doing these activities, gardening, playing outside, you know, enjoying leisure time on the porch in the evenings. These are all periods during which people have told me over the years they've seen UFOs. Now, the, again, the broader point is let's not make what may be what appear to be superficially, we should say, 
correlations between things when in fact they may not be. And that all back to the I think the age-old attempts at trying to discredit UFOs by making them associated with activities that make it seem less likely that people have actually had the experiences that they say that they've had. And also you have to consider what kind of extreme drunkenness would you have to experience to see a hallucination? You know, it's become so ingrained, though, in our society that, I mean, how many witnesses to unusual events, you know, preface their reports with, you know, I'm not a drinker, I wasn't doing drugs, you know, people feel like that they have to add that anymore to uh, to their sightings. Yeah, Tim, and it's, you know, kind of sad because to me, again, back to Gene's point, you know, how often have you heard of anyone who suddenly is, you know, having a beer and they start hallucinating and seeing, you know, a UFO or a Sasquatch? You know, last time I checked, a person who is enjoying a moderate amount of alcohol is not going to be prone to vivid hallucinations that completely distort their reality so much that they would misperceive seeing a UFO. You know, I uh, spoke with a police officer, former police officer a while back who had said that, you know, when people share sightings with him, the first question he asks them is, had you been drinking? And if they'd had a drop of alcohol, I immediately discount their sighting. I would say I understand that that may in some ways reduce the credibility factor, but I don't think that's necessarily a game changer. And we can certainly agree that not all UFO sightings occur when people are drinking. Right. Now, maybe you would be less skeptical of what you see when you're drunk or even slightly drunk. But it doesn't mean that you see (laughs) something that can be explained by that. And then the point is also is that, let's face it, most of the things people see are conventional. It's only a small percentage that we can't explain, but that's the entire UFO mystery. We only need one real thing to have a mystery to solve. Yes, indeed. Uh, You know, this reminds me of commentary Dr. Jeffrey Meldrum has made. Entirely different subject, but I think that the same kind of argument applies. He says, of course, when we look at footprints purportedly associated with these relic hominoids, again, that's kind of a fancy way of saying Sasquatch, these footprints, many of which are probably fakes, That, I mean, nonetheless, seems to be one part of the issue. The other part being that, of course, if one of the set of, you know, castings that we have allegedly left by a large bipedal hairy hominoid, if one of those represents an actual specimen, we have a genuine mystery. And so this seems to be the issue I think that UFO researchers have kind of grappled with for a long time, too. As, of course, we remember back during the 80s and 90s, Roswell was the case, really, that everybody kind of focused on and said, oh, this is going to be... The smoking gun. Why do we need a smoking gun? Well, because, of course, everybody was so tired of saying, well, this one is a good case, but it might have an explanation. This one can easily be explained. You know, this one's a weather balloon. This one's a kite. This one's a plane. They wanted that case that was absolutely rock solid, the irrefutable UFO sighting. I don't know if we have one of those yet that is entirely irrefutable. But if we look at the some body of sightings, anecdotal though that data is, you know, again, I'm I'm kind of left thinking that if one of these cases represents a true, valid, accurate description and valid observation of what the witness said that they saw, we have a genuine mystery here. And so what seems to have somewhat changed that dialogue in recent years is that this Navy footage that is, uh, you know, surfaced since 2017 after it appeared in the New York Times. One of those videos, of course, had actually been online even prior to that. But with the attention 
that was brought to these, the public attention that these video these videos received, which led to, first of all, investigations by the Air Force Office of Special Investigations, and then eventually the DOD actually officially authorized them for release and said, we're releasing these to clear up any confusion about whether they are ours, whether they're real, whether there are longer versions, et cetera, et cetera. You know, now we do have instances where there are aerial objects that the military says we can't identify these things. And these seem to be a pretty good corollary for the classic historical accounts that many people, military and civilian alike, have claimed to have had encounters with over the decades. Well, what's interesting is the fact that the military would even take it seriously at this stage of the game. You know, it seems that at one time they didn't. You know, again, Gene, I think that over the years, many people in the military have taken this seriously. Uh, But the problem is that... And even in the current dialogue, I think that more than there being a desire to get to the bottom of this, you know, what are these things? I don't think that's what the military is trying to do at all. I think that with the establishment of this new AOI-MSG, what is Airborne Object Identification Management and Synchronization Group, did I get it right? <laughs> really, you know, <laughs> slips off the tongue, doesn't it? So, but, well, I'll tell you, they did that so you wouldn't remember what it was. Of course, that's exactly what this was all about. They wanted the least memorable name that they could come up with. And further, I don't think that the efforts of this organization or any other organization that may be forthcoming, presumably with the passage of the Gillibrand Amendment late last year, and then, of course, the signing into law of the National Defense Authorization Act for fiscal year 2022, you know, we are going to either see the uh, efforts of the AOI-MSG somewhat broadened as what was outlined in the Gillibrand Amendment called for much more than the stated objectives of the AOI-MSG. Or we may see two separate, again, dare I say, rival UAP investigative agencies within government. But my guess would be that neither of them are looking at this trying to say, okay, we need to find out what these things are, where they're coming from, and if they are extraterrestrial. Again, in the truth embargo, and it's going to reveal to humankind the greatest scientific discovery ever – no, I think that from the military perspective, they're like, okay, we want to try and identify where these things are coming from, why they are making incursions into our controlled airspace. We want to try and determine if there are any threats associated with them. And if there are none, and if there's nothing that we should realistically be concerned about, then we'll go back to ignoring it, because if we can't explain it, we're wasting a lot of time, effort, energy, taxpayer money, etc. And sadly, I think that's really kind of where Blue Book got They got to a point not only of frustration with trying to actually gather data about this, and once they began to realize how difficult it was to gather that data, we tend to see this kind of trend where over the years there were more and more efforts to kind of not only just debunk individual cases, but to sort of delegitimize the entire subject. And then when the ridicule from the public results, you know, the U.S. Air Force isn't doing a good enough job – Then it was pretty clear by the time 1966 rolls around that they wanted out. Gerald Ford and others were now saying, we need hearings. We need our military taking this seriously. What does the Air Force do? They say, let's get some scientists involved. And we saw how that turned out, of course, you know, with the University of Colorado UFO project. But they were looking for a way out. Most UFO historians would agree that was what was going on. And to an extent, I can't blame them. Nobody ever said that UFO investigation was easy. Nobody ever said it would be a simple task. But it's really interesting here to think that someone who would become the accidental president of the United States (laughs) spearheaded this investigation. Now, if you had congressional hearings, though, things would be a lot more difficult because, as you might have seen just with the hearings on the latest Supreme Court nominee, some politicians try to make a show of it, and they ask really stupid questions. I'm not going to get into the politics, but... I think people know what I mean. 
And the problem with congressional hearings is, are you going to see some people get up there and just try to make it into some kind of sick entertainment, or will they ask reasonable, responsible questions? Because if they just turn it into some kind of entertainment, and I could just see the question being asked by certain people we will not name, well, how much did the pilots drink before they saw these strange objects and took these gun camera photos? But you see, that will happen if things will get straightened out. That's why I think congressional hearings for UAPs, UFOs, or whatever are just not going to work right now in this climate. Micah, Gene, Tim, you're in the Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's legendary coupon code. They're offering substantial hosting discounts on shared hosting, business hosting, VPS hosting, reseller hosting, and even dedicated servers. Namecheap is preferred by millions. It's backed by a money-back guarantee. Use the coupon code LEGENDARY to cash in on the special deal at Namecheap.com, Namecheap.com. First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there is the coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream. A dream that turns out to be a nightmare, because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and the coming of the Protectors. Find out more at Rockoids.com. That's Rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S, dot com. Complement your health with hemp-derived cannabinoid oil. We've always believed that the closer to Earth, the better it is for our bodies. Our hemp-derived cannabinoid oil is phytocannabinoid-rich, full-spectrum, and organically grown. Finally, hemp made easy, clean, and effective. GCNHemp.com or call 877-878-4203. That's right, we cut through the red tape. It's now available at GCNHemp.com or call 877-878-4203. Silver has always been nature's very own antibiotic, and only one system allows you to generate an endless supply of natural silver solutions. Silverlungs.com. You'll find no wild claims or pseudoscience, just a lifetime of nano-sized pure silver solutions. The Silver Lungs generator allows you to make your own, so stop paying for silver solutions. The unique lung delivery system targets respiratory infections where other silver solutions simply cannot reach. See the Silver Lungs generator and lung delivery system at Silverlungs.com. That's Silverlungs.com. You don't sit behind a desk every day to earn a living. You're out and about making it happen. And sometimes you get a little bit behind on your paperwork, you know, like bookkeeping and paying your taxes. It's easy to get behind on paying your taxes. It happens to the best of us. And you know what happens next. The big, bad IRS comes knocking on your door. And when that happens, you need to call the good old boys at the tax doctor. Let them do what they do best. Deal and negotiate with the IRS so you pay the lowest you can in back taxes that the law allows. We are a 100% U.S.-based company, and we've saved our clients millions over the years in back taxes. If you owe $10,000 or more in back taxes, call my friends right now at the tax doctor and learn more. 800-507-3137. 800-507-3137. 
800-507-3137. That's 800-507-3137. Americans have the most colorful language in the world. And that vibrant language is our basis for thinking in big ways, new ways, efficient ways, and better ways. Americans have freedom of speech. The pairing of our colorful language and freedom of speech has made us the people and the nation that we are today. Imagine what it would be like not having the freedom to speak our minds, communicate our thoughts and ideas, and hear those from others. Americans have a passion for and yearn for the truth. There are those who want to destroy our freedom and right to hear the truth. The truth is under attack. GCN is under attack. I'm asking our fellow broadcasters and you to rise up and help us defend our right to free speech. Would you like to join us? Please consider visiting SaveGCN.com. Please help us bring you the truth 24 hours per day. I'm Vincent Finelli. is Richard Dolan. You're listening to the Paracast. Micah Hanks joins us. He's got Graylian Report, MicahHanks.com. He's editor-in-chief of The Debrief. We'll tell you more about that later, but if you look up The Debrief online, you can find it, you can subscribe to their newsletter, and they have lots of cutting-edge commentaries that are certainly worth your attention. I receive something like about every day from them. It's always worth something to look into. Micah, let's talk more about this American investigation. Do you think anything's going to happen, or are they going to just change the names of the UFO group every year? That's a very good question. You know, again, what was outlined uh, late last year? And first of all, let me just say I was kind of amazed that the so-called Gillibrand Amendment actually ended up making it through the final stage of amendments packages that were included with the NDAA. And again, for anybody just picking up the show, we're referring to the National Defense Authorization Act for fiscal year 2022. The fact that there was such elaborate wording in this proposed amendment, and it was introduced by Senator Gillibrand, but of course there were many many co-sponsors who came on board in the days that uh, followed. Of course, Marco Rubio came on board several others as well. And really what that says to me is that UAP currently is and should be, I think, a bipartisan effort. But to your point, Gene, I don't know that politicians holding hearings, you know, politicizing the issue for various reasons, often including personal gain or for party politics, getting involved in those kinds of debates and discussions, I don't know that that's necessarily the most important thing. However, what we must rely on elected officials to do and what they did do in this instance was they actually put forward an amendment that was signed into law that will now enact a UAP investigative body within government that, based on the wording of the amendment, is supposed to be doing you know field investigations. They're supposed to essentially be a you know ground team that will go out there and they will look into UAP instances, or, you know, or events when they occur. There's supposed to be the science plan that is also being implemented in terms of how the data that's collected will be analyzed, what will be done with that, you know, moving forward, how that will be uh, used in a variety of capacities, no less among them, of course, the potential for trying to develop whatever technologies or technological innovations might be derived essentially from the study of UAP. So there are a lot of different 
aspects of this that are very interesting. Another one that was of particular intrigue to me was the fact that there was some uh, emphasis placed on both the ongoing occurrences of UAP sightings, aerial incursions and the like near nuclear facilities. This is definitely something that goes back many, many decades. And I'll, of course, bring attention right now to the Bind book that was by uh, Lawrence Fawcett and Barry Greenwood, a hero of mine, both those guys, actually. Clear Intent was the original title. It was re-released as the UFO cover-up. And that really kind of laid out the best and strongest case at that time in terms of what different government agencies were involved in UAP, what information they had collected. And certainly there was a lot of emphasis on these cases at these military installations where nuke sites were found. And of course, Robert Hastings, I think, carried that torch uh, in more recent years and did arguably some of the best work in that regard. The other side of it, too, in addition to the nuclear sites, there's also the human interactions with UAP and physical injury cases that result from it. Again, maybe the best known historical example of this, but certainly not the only one. One of the best known examples in the United States involves the so-called Cash Landrum incident from 1980, where Betty Cash and Vicki Landrum and her grandson Colby were also in the vehicle, but Betty stepped outside the vehicle, was exposed to something from this object that was seen hovering over the road. Many listeners, of course, are very familiar with this case. But in instances like that, some of the participants in the Randlesham case and other UAP incidents over the years, many have said that there are physical effects that also are harmful to one's health. That also is something that the Gillibrand Amendment outlined for the new UAP investigative agency within the DOD to be looking into. Okay, but that's interesting because we had Dr. Colin Kelleher on. And, of course, he was one of the people involved in the original program where the Pentagon authorized $22 million for UAP research, and that money went to Bob Bigelow and his organization. And he made an important point about human effects, which he called a hitchhiker effect, where you see something and then it, the effects seem to follow you and manifest themselves in different ways. And sometimes it causes physical harm, like, of course, Cash Landrum, of course, John Burroughs in the Rendlesham case. Yes, John Burroughs is exactly who I've been thinking of there. On the subject of Colin Kelleher coming on the program, I recall him being on the show recently. People had emailed me after the fact. And they had pointed out something that Colm had said that was a little concerning. And again, I say this not to criticize those who had been involved in Bigelow's various uh, investigations into the UAP question over the years, you know, initially starting with the National Institute for Discovery Sciences, and more recently in support of the so-called OSAP program that was managed out of the DIA by James Lukatsky. But something that Colm had said here on this program had to do with the fact that, of course, there was this database that they had been putting together that uh, Jacques Vallée had assisted in the creation of, but that essentially that and all other information that was collected by the OSAP program, it's not going to be made publicly available. I have mixed feelings about this. There are some UFO researchers who, when I brought this up, have sort of accused me of discrediting or, you know, or attacking the participants in that program. That's not my intention at all. And of course, especially in the case of Jacques Vallée, I have tremendous respect, all these individuals, in fact, But I do worry about transparency. There are obviously some things, national secrets, methods and technologies that the military employs, for instance, that not designed for UAP detection. No, as a matter of happenstance, they happen to detect UAP sometimes. Therefore, the military doesn't want to reveal how those work and all the details about those very sensitive systems so that our enemies know everything we're doing and how we do it. I get that. Some secrecy in the furtherance of national security is important. Let's just For a moment, look at the big picture. If UAP does represent what many think it is, extraterrestrial visitation, or if not that, some other form of intelligence 
that's engaging with humankind. We don't know at this point. I try to maintain a healthy distance from all these conclusions and really be as unbiased as I possibly can. It's difficult sometimes. But whatever this represents, it seems to be significant. And I worry about the idea that some of the best data perhaps in existence, you or I, we're never going to see that. Why does that have to be withheld? Should it be withheld? Is that really in the furtherance of national security? And now bring that over into more recent documents that were released. John Greenwald, good friend of mine and no doubt of this program, you know, he managing the Black Vault for many years has almost tirelessly filed FOIA requests trying to build on our body of knowledge so that we will, in the public domain, have access to important information about this topic and what our government has collected about it. In some of John's recent FOIA releases, one of the most striking to me was the classified version of last summer's ODNI report on UAP. And although much of it was redacted, we did get some new information. But among some of the redactions were the shapes of UAP. And I'm asking, and John's asked this too, we thought it was absurd, why is the shape and the common shapes, the most common shapes that are reported, in fact, by military pilots and others who have encountered UAP, why is that considered information that should remain classified? That just seems nonsensical to me. So I have some issues with the management of data and the prohibition uh, in terms of keeping it from the public. I, I would really like for information to be made readily accessible when it can be, when it's not endangering our national security and our way of life. This is a very important topic, and I do think people have a right to know. Yeah, but this has been, you know, the normal operating procedure of the military almost from the very beginning when it comes to UFOs, you know, that uh, they seem to feel like that the public doesn't have a right to know about their investigations. And like you said, I mean, I can understand if you know, some of this involves the, uh, you know, security apparatus. Uh, but like you said, you know, why why something as you know, mundane, I hate to use that word, but that's the first word that comes to my mind, as the shapes of the UFOs, why would something like that be uh, uh, redacted? You know, they always seem to drop down this veil of secrecy on the, on, you know, the whole investigations. Yes, indeed. And again, it's a little concerning to me. I, I, it's not like we don't already know what some of the more commonly reported shapes are. And in fact, if we're to understand that the 2004 Navy footage, which reportedly depicts this so-called tic-tac the commander dave fravor alex dietrich and others observed thereafter it was filmed by um uh, um chad underwood who's now also a commander but at the time he was not you know in that footage in the best frames from that film you actually do see a you know pill a tic-tac a cigar-shaped object so we can pretty clearly see the shape of it they didn't decide that that shouldn't be released but then again it would have been hard to do that since that video had leaked online it was removed and then it was again re-released through unauthorized channels in 2017 and published by the New York Times is the reason that we see that video, even though, keep in mind, those videos were unclassified for special use only. And so it wasn't actually against the law for them to be released. There was an investigation that probed into that at the time, but that was what was determined after that investigation initially by the Air Force Office of Special Investigations, if I understand correctly. Again, we saw the shape of those objects. Some of them are indistinct. Some, in that case, of course, was pretty distinct. And that gives us a very clear idea of what some of these objects look like. So why can we see that, but then we're not allowed to be told what pilots say that they see and what the most common shapes are? we got more to come with Tim and Micah and Gene. You're in the Paracast. <laughs> for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today.
Hey, listeners, I want you to have the entire Paracast experience. So I'd like to tell you about After the Paracast. After the Paracast is an exclusive feature for subscribers to the Paracast Plus. With After the Paracast, you never know what's going to happen next. After the Paracast features color commentary, special interviews, and further conversations with Paracast guests. With Paracast Plus, you can download a very special enhanced version of the Paracast also. We do offer exclusive music, videos, and more features are coming. To get more info about subscribing, please visit theparacast.plus. Once again, theparacast.plus. Prices are just $1.50 a week, less than a cup of coffee at your local convenience store. Check out theparacast.plus to learn more about Paracast Plus. Hello? Congratulations. For what? For losing all that weight. How'd you do it so fast? ASAP. ASAP what? What's that mean? Are you ready to get as skinny as possible, as soon as possible, as simple as possible, and as sexy as possible? I'm listening. Then get with the ASAP program. It's real and it works. No smooth talk, no slick advertising, and no exaggerated claims of success. I've got to know more. Welcome to ASAP, as slim as possible. Whether you have 10, 20, or 50 pounds to lose, ASAP is your your weight loss answer. ASAP targets the abnormal fat reserves and makes them available to be burned as fuel and contains no caffeine or hormones. Order ASAP at wholesale prices or join the team to share the business with others. Go to GCNteam.com or call 855-GCN-MALL. That's 855-426-6255. GCNteam.com or 855-426-6255. Lose weight and look great with ASAP as slim as possible. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. That is not one of Tim Swartz's 27 and a half voices. That's Micah (laughs) Hanks. How many voices do you have, Micah? Well, if I told you... My psychiatrist would want to talk with me again. So I really, that, that's going to have to remain classified as well. But in terms of shapes of UFOs and wondering what they look like, one shape that always seems mysterious, or maybe it's not mysterious, triangular UFOs. That's one that we've looked at over the years. I know early on in the history of the Paracast, we had a foreign member who managed a section on triangular UFOs. It's called the Black Triangles Forum. And the guy who set it up was a guy named Tom Levine. We haven't heard from him in probably 15 years. But he made a big deal about the various objects that were shaped in this fashion. And you kind of wonder what that significance is because they keep recurring. Well, I guess we could say that within the already fairly lengthy history of UFOs, There is a lengthy history of sightings of these triangular objects. Uh, I recall seeing a brief entry by Brad Steiger in Fate magazine, maybe going all the way back to 1976 or maybe even earlier than that. But, I mean, it was describing sightings of triangular-shaped objects. Uh, Of course, David Marler, in his book, Triangular UFOs, An Estimate of the Situation, he also goes back in time and provides some historical accounts that seem to also support 
if nothing else, that people were seeing triangular shapes in the sky. Some might even go further back, and this is pretty speculative, but if we look at those engravings uh, from Nuremberg, this is one that's famously cited by the you know, proponents of ancient astronaut theories and things like that. All kinds of aerial phenomena appearing in the sky, but you probably know the particular engraving I'm talking about because there's this large kind of spade-like object that's in the sky. And I'm sure that there are modern proponents of the existence of these large black triangles who would look at that and say, see, these things were being seen over Nuremberg back in the 1500s. Now, we may never know exactly what that object in that engraving represents, but I'll tell you what I do know is that, I mean, for the last more than a decade, I personally have received more reports of sightings of those objects than any other UFO or UAP shape or type. The military seems to kind of have a fixation on spheres and things, and they say these little nondescript objects. I'm not so sure that those are the most common types. I think that, if anything, probably since the Navy and other branches of the military began to update their radar systems. Raytheon began to provide phased array radar systems. The ATFLIR targeting pod was also put into use. With the incredibly advanced equipment upgrades that began occurring in the early 2000s, and this, of course, roughly coinciding with when these UAP events began to occur, really we might appropriately call them UAP detection events because my contention would be that these objects have been around for a while, maybe forever for all we know, But we now are becoming more technologically adept. We are better equipped at detecting these things. As far as eyewitness sightings, when common people have said they've seen UFOs, I've gotten more reports of the large triangular UFOs than any other kind. It really is striking to me how consistent those reports are. It's always a very large object, sometimes described as about the size of a football field. Some would say about 90 feet long, but again, we're in the same kind of ballpark there. They're generally described as silent moving. They move slowly sometimes. Most often, I think people actually would say that they move at a moderate or a slow speed. Some, in very rare instances, say that they've seen these things take off at incredible rates. As far as conjectures about what these things might be, Gregory Pope was his name. Different Pope, one also associated with UAP and unidentified flying objects. But uh, Greg Pope, writing for Popular Mechanics back in the 1990s, had done a lot of investigation into the sightings of these things, especially out over the Antelope Valley, which is an area that is kind of renowned for tests of experimental different types of aircraft and things. And it's hard to think that if a lot of sightings were emanating from that area at the time, that there weren't some actual experiments underway. But as far as the idea of experimental aircraft, the problem that we encounter with the sightings of these large triangles is that people have seen these in the United Kingdom. I've received very good reports from people in the UK, in Australia, in the United States, of course. I've even spoken to some people in parts of the Eastern world. One man had had a vivid encounter where he and several friends watched one of these things for more than half an hour in China, he said. If these are indeed some kind of a special ops, you know, some sort of a secret U.S. project, why they are seen flying in the airspace of so many other countries really baffles me unless there is something much more to the relationships between these countries and the reasons for the deployment of an aircraft like that. Well, that makes me think, though, of the uh, the whole uh, Belgium UFO flap, where predominantly the UFOs seen were uh, uh, triangle in shape, where the uh, sightings were predominantly triangle shape, and uh, there was also uh, a very good um, old footage of uh, radar hits taken from a, a military plane of, of one of those UFOs. 
Indeed, yeah. I mean, really, the Belgium wave from the early 1990s, many would probably recognize as one of the most uh, striking situations where there were multiple sightings of these objects. One of the earliest also, too, uh, that that involved a significant uh, number of these. Uh, And the fact that this was occurring over Belgian airspace, uh, I think some French authorities had been looking into this at the time, and and certainly this got the attention of the UK, uh, probably in other nations nearby. Uh, one has to wonder exactly if, if this was a U.S. special project, what these aircraft would have been doing in Belgian airspace at that time. Again, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Uh, but the worldliness of this phenomenon is, again, problematic if we are to conclude that, well, these are probably ours. Now, they very well may be. But if that's the case, again, there's a much deeper question that needs to be asked in terms of how these aircraft get all over the place. Uh, first, in terms not only of the geopolitics but even just in terms of you know fuel sources and, and things along these lines. And I would extend that question, in fact, to some of the more recent encounters by the U.S. Navy. There have been some incredible arguments made that you know foreign governments and adversarial technologies, drones, things along these lines, may be behind some of these UAP encounters and that their purpose is essentially to gaze or to, uh, to rather gauge the efficacy of our radar systems and detection apparatus on board these carrier strike groups. But the question there becomes one of, well, you know, if I'm flying a drone, all right, a civilian drone, I've got a battery life on this thing of about 15 minutes. Even with a military drone, I mean, if China is operating these things, home base for these drones presumably is going to have to be pretty close by. That or they're going to have to be secret operations nearby, you know, a submarine or something from which these can be released. You're not going to be able to fly those drones all the way from mainland China. And nobody has said that they are. But again, we do have to account if we're going to say that these are potentially foreign adversaries for the locations from which, at least in the near term, these drones or other kinds of surveillance platforms are being deployed. Unless there is some kind of extremely advanced technology that has overcome even the simple issues of fuel sources – uh, that is capable of deploying these things and getting them out there uh, and and making them available to surveil our uh, naval servicemen and women during these training operations, both in the Atlantic and the Pacific, as has reportedly occurred. Again, there are a lot of questions. Uh, and that is another problem that I think that we encounter. If we go back to Ryan uh, Graves' account of some of the objects that were seen between maybe the summer of 2014 and early 2015 – Uh, in service to the USS Theodore Roosevelt, and this, of course, reported by the New York Times back in 2019. Much has been said about it since. He was saying some of these objects would hang out there all day. He said, you know, if we've got anything like that in the airspace, we've got maybe an hour, maybe. And he said these things would be out there all day. What, What kind of fuel source is keeping these things aloft? What is keeping these objects out there almost constantly? But then on the other side of that question, and you know Bob Schaefer, who's been on the program in the past, uh, has raised this question. If these objects are virtually seen all the time, they're out there all day, and they remain in the sky as though they don't need any kind of conventional fuel source, why don't we have an abundance of video? I mean, why aren't there photographs just coming out our ears of these objects that you can just go out there on any day and, and, and see? You know, it, it's, it's, been made, uh, it's been made out as such that these aircraft appear very frequently – Shouldn't there be more data in support of that if indeed that's occurred? So there are a lot of problems with this this discussion about you know where these things come from and the simple explanations of they're either theirs or ours, that meaning Russia, China, or the U.S. To me, something much more complex is probably going on. We'll get into solutions, possible answers to the UFO enigma. 
In our next segment with Micah and Gene and Tim, you're in. Uh, the Paracast. Hey, listeners. I want you to have the entire Paracast experience. So I'd like to tell you about After the Paracast. After the Paracast is an exclusive feature for subscribers to the Paracast Plus. With After the Paracast, you never know what's going to happen next. After the Paracast features color commentary, special interviews, and further conversations with Paracast guests. With Paracast Plus, you can download a very special enhanced version of the Paracast also. We do offer exclusive music, videos, and more features are coming. To get more info about subscribing, please visit theparacast.plus. Once again, theparacast.plus. Prices are just $1.50 a week, less than a cup of coffee at your local convenience store. Check out theparacast.plus to learn more about Paracast Plus. Hi, Peter Vaccaro for ParanormalDate.com. Are you looking for love in all the wrong places? Now you have a chance to change that by signing up for free at ParanormalDate.com. This incredible dating site puts people of like minds together. People who are interested in the strange, the unusual, mysteries, ghosts, UFOs, and the afterlife, and so much more. ParanormalDate.com was developed for you. People seeking a viable alternative to the other dating services. You can join for free by going to ParanormalDate.com. And if you decide you like it and want to connect with people, use the code GEORGE for a substantial discount. Mark Rawlings, president of ParanormalDate.com, says so many people hunger to share their experiences about the paranormal, the unexplainable, or the afterlife, and so much more. And this is the source for them to meet and share that common interest. So sign up for free at ParanormalDate.com. ParanormalDate.com. And use the code GEORGE if you decide to connect with someone you like. GCN's policy is open forum avoiding censorship. Defense costs for words spoken outside of our control supersede the ability to deliver voices to this important talk platform. The First Amendment is the foundation of our core values. Castle culture is silencing voices regardless of perspective. Freedom to speak is in the balance. Support the legitimacy of speech itself. Consider donating to SaveGCN.com. That's SaveGCN.com. Airlines have just reduced their prices even more. Book 30 days in advance and save big. Want the absolute lowest prices on your airline tickets? Then call the low-cost airlines travel hotline right now. For prices so low, we can't publish them anywhere. The only way to access our low rates and save up to 70% is to call. Save hundreds on your vacation tickets by calling right now. You can fly anywhere in the world and pay discount prices on your airline. Airline tickets. Book a flight today to London, Paris, Madrid, or anywhere else you want to go. And pay a lot less guaranteed. Call the International Travel Department right now at low-cost airlines. 802-341-4535. 802-341-4535. That's 802-341-4535. Are you curious about what might be missing from your diet and supplement choices? 
Take a free health assessment to identify your possible nutrient deficiencies. As a certified holistic health coach, I will help you assess and prioritize a supplement program based on Dr. Wallach's recommendations. Call Linda at 833-VITAL-90. That number to call is 833-848-2590. That's 833-VITAL-90. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. With that last stinger, I thought for a moment that Tim was going to attempt a porky pig imitation. But no. <laughs> no, I don't I don't have that stuttering capability. I'd be afraid I'd get stuck in it too for the rest of the show. Well that's <laughs> the plan, of course, the game plan. You'd be speaking to us from a tube. Okay. Not in a tube is Micah Hanks, he's in Brazil. And so far we've had pretty decent internet connections, but I'm not going to say anything. Micah, looking, I guess, now into answers to the UFO enigma and the fact that they do things that our craft can't do, and it's simple to say, okay, someone on another planet is a thousand years ahead of us, and so whatever they do is magic. Do we need to go any further? That's a good point because, you know, again, just as I was looking at some of the problems with assuming that all of these UAP sightings are simply ours or they belong to an adversarial nation like China or Russia. I don't doubt that there are some instances where that is probably the case, but then there are some instances where that seems increasingly unlikely based on the apparent technology in question or what has been observed. The long-held conjecture that, well, some of these things therefore must be from outer space, they must be extraterrestrials. Some have tried to make the same argument or at least a very similar argument to what I was making in the last segment that you know, or with regard to limitations of fuel and transportation, if it's hard for China, in other words, to get a drone out to the middle of the Pacific to watch, uh, you know, a U.S. naval carrier strike group in operation, imagine how difficult it would be for, you know, for instance, aliens from Zeta to reticuli to send their quote-unquote drones all the way to Earth to observe our technological capabilities, keep tabs on our nuclear sites, and things like this. It's sad because in the modern dialogue about this phenomenon, a lot of people seem to want to kind of frame this in terms of, well, if these things are anything exotic, we have to be open to the possibility that they are unpiloted, you know, drones that are either, you know, automatons in the in the sense that they are self-piloted, perhaps they're artificially intelligent, or maybe these are just remotely controlled from elsewhere and these are technologies that don't represent the intelligence itself but are being in, you know controlled by it either of these you know may be the case but if we go back in time and we look at some of the very credible sounding ufo events from years past there are a number of instances where people have claimed not only to see these exotic craft but also in some cases they've been landed and the occupants have been observed on my podcast, I recently did a episode where I went back and I tried to look at some of the most credible landing cases from over the years involving individuals who said that they saw the occupants of this craft. Now, keep in mind, I wasn't looking at abductions, you know, the popular abduction claims that kind of dominated the UFO narrative back in the 1980s and into the 90s. 
these were cases that involved people who said that they saw, for instance, a landed craft and, and, and a you know humanoid occupant appeared to emerge from it. One example that really was striking to me had actually been recorded by uh, Robert Grebel, the original uh, operator of the National UFO Reporting Center before Peter Davenport took over. And uh, an individual had called in and had been part of a, uh, a kind of a unit that was working out. I think it was in the state of I believe it was Utah, if memory serves. And he was part of this unit that was operating uh, out of the state one evening. And he said that he and 10 other individuals had gotten reports of this object that had landed out in this in this field. And so he says that they go out there and they're observing the object. They see it land. And he said that several of us from different vantage points along the highway, as we were observing this object through binoculars, we several of us saw very clearly some sort of a humanoid come out of an opening on the side of the craft, step down, walk out into the field. And then the object later takes off. They said it rose up and then just zipped up very quickly and silently, but they never saw the occupant get back on board. And so they were a little concerned about the fact that whoever came off this craft seems to have emerged and didn't get back on board, at least from what they could see when this thing took off. Now, at the distance and in the visual conditions under which this humanoid was seen, that you know was essentially all that they were able to determine that this was a humanoid. But again, there were a lot of sightings, especially during the 1970s, like this, where people who seemed to be, I mean, people, members of law enforcement, people who had been involved with the military, some people just civilian observers, but who just happened to have these experiences where they were able to see occupants on board these craft. Many people describe humanoids. Uh, they vary somewhat, and sometimes they're fairly indistinct. Sometimes they're very clearly the kind of modern archetypal gray or what you might call you know, the common conception most of us have of an alien. More often than not, they're fairly indistinct, and really there's little detail given apart from just to say that they are humanoid. Again, we come back to the idea from earlier that, look, you know, a lot of people make up stories. A lot of these stories probably are too incredible to believe, but if one of those accounts is accurate – it seems to indicate that there are individuals of some kind. We don't have to make any kind of claim as to their provenance, but that there are individuals who are piloting some of these things. They aren't just drones. They aren't just you know automatons that are artificially intelligent, what have you. I mean, I'm very intrigued by those old reports. And here again, a lot of that data from outside the military, you know, collected by civilian investigative groups, that data – I think does at times warrant attention if we are really truly going to try and assess the modern UAP situation. And yet instead of looking at all of these reports and saying, okay, well, you know, let's at least withhold judgment, but look seriously at these and entertain some possibilities, this preoccupation people have with if it didn't come from the government, if the United States government didn't release it in a FOIA request or if it wasn't leaked by somebody – and if one of maybe a handful of authors uh, who are kind of leading this narrative right now didn't write about it, then we aren't interested. I'm thinking, you know, some of the most important data that we've probably collected about this phenomenon in the big picture sense of things is being completely overlooked and ignored by modern researchers due to their preoccupation on what they think is the most important data we have on UAP. What bothers me is just hearing a report of an object landing Something, we'll say humanoid, don't know how close to being human that is, lands, leaves the craft, and it's not like the movie E.T., although it reminds you of that, and they're not taken away. They don't go back to the craft. It's like the craft took them on a trip like a bus. It goes to the bus stop being Earth, and the entity leaves. 
and gets on about its business, whatever that is. You do hear those accounts. Uh, you know, I, I recall Stan Gordon doing a lot of investigations that involved sightings of unusual humanoids in close proximity and in conjunction with UFO sightings, which we won't get into right now. But again, the main point that I want to try and drive home is that there's a lot of data over the years that seems very strongly suggestive of there being occupants on board some of these aerial phenomena. There might be a number of interpretations and we could go down the list. I mean, time travelers, alien visitors, what have you. But I mean, the two most likely, in my opinion, would probably have to be if we are seeing humanoids, that these are either humans or if they don't resemble humans, but they are clearly humanoid, they are something else, probably not human, and therefore in likelihood from someplace else. Some might say, how do you know that they aren't, again, like from the future, time travelers from the future? What if they're time travelers from the past, for all we know? What if they are an indigenous crypto-terrestrial group that have been here all along, and they've been here for longer than what we recognize as homo sapiens sapiens? I mean, we could go down the list. Got more to come with Micah, Gene, and Tim, you're in. Of the Pentecost. <laughs> Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Hi, I'm Dan Pilla. I started fighting the IRS over 40 years ago when they tried to seize my mother's house. I sued the IRS and won. I beat the IRS then, and I've been beating them ever since. I wrote the book on tax debt settlement, and I've helped thousands of people deal with tax problems they thought might never be solved. I can help you too. If you owe taxes you can't pay, don't wait another day. There's no such thing as a hopeless tax case. Call 800-34-NO-TAX or go to my website, danpilla.com. That's danpilla.com, danpilla.com. Silver has always been nature's very own antibiotic, and only one system allows you to generate an endless supply of natural silver solutions, silverlungs.com. You'll find no wild claims or pseudoscience, just a lifetime of nano-sized pure silver solutions. The Silver Lungs Generator allows you to make your own, so stop paying for silver solutions. The unique lung delivery system targets respiratory infections where other silver solutions simply cannot reach. See the Silver Lungs Generator and Lung Delivery System at silverlungs.com. That's silverlungs.com. USA Radio News with Kenneth Burns. Another mass shooting, this time in Columbia, South Carolina. It happened Saturday afternoon inside of the Columbiana Center. Columbia Police Chief Skip Holbrook says three people are in custody. This is still early. Uh, we don't believe this was random. Uh, I think that's very important in situations like this. Um, we believe that uh, the individuals that were armed knew each other. Uh, and there was some type of conflict that occurred that resulted in gunfire. Ten people were hit by gunfire. Two others were injured as people tried to escape. There were no fatalities reported. The $50,000 reward leading to the suspect in Tuesday's shooting at a Brooklyn, New York subway station will be split among five people. The information led to the arrest of the suspect, Frank R. James. The 62-year-old is being held without bail in a federal detention center. No one was killed in that attack, but 10 people were shot and 19 others were injured. This is USA Radio News. British Prime Minister Boris Johnson and other senior British politicians are banned from entering Russia. Officially, it's in response to what it called the UK's unprecedented hostile actions over the war in Ukraine. Russian leaders have placed similar bans on American, Canadian, and European leaders. Some employees at Verizon stores in Washington State have decided to unionize Friday. The stores in Everett and Linwood, north of Seattle, are the first unionized Verizon stores outside of New York City. The Everett Daily Herald reports employees and supporters watched the vote count on Zoom. 
the paper did not get a comment from Verizon in regards to the vote. 57-year-old Richard Bernard Moore, convicted of the 1999 killing of a convenience store clerk in Spartanburg, South Carolina, has opted for a firing squad when he is put to death later this month. Moore is the first prisoner in the state to face the choice of execution methods after a new law went into effect last year, making electrocution the default option after it was not able to secure drugs for lethal injection. You're listening to USA Radio News. You trust your mother, right? She's always taken care of you and always tried to give you good advice when you ask for it. And sometimes even when you don't. Well, even though she might not mention it, mom very likely has neck, back, and shoulder pains. And she needs relief. So trust this good advice. Give back to mom this Mother's Day with quality products from Sunny Bay. Like our disposable heat patches. They're back in stock now and target neck and shoulder pain in adults of all ages. Or our extra-long neck heating pads. They provide soothing relief to painful sore necks and backs. Mom can heat them in her microwave and they come in a variety of colors and patterns. Read our trusted, authentic, and real reviews on Amazon when you search Sunny Bay Heating Wraps and shop now in time for Mother's Day. There's no shipping delays from Sunny Bay. Find us on Amazon, Walmart, Etsy, and sunny-bay.com. Remember, just search for Sunny Bay Neck Wraps. Order now because stock is high and shipping is fast from Sunny Bay. Hi, this is James Fox. You're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. Of course, if you follow Star Trek, most of the beings they encounter are humans. Okay, Falcons have the ears and Klingons have the stuff on their foreheads. But whatever it is, they're fundamentally human. They can mate with human beings. Okay, so remember, Mr. Spock is the spawn of a human mother and a Vulcan father. That's the concept. Now, you have these situations where they've discovered extrasolar planets, and of course they're looking for the Goldilocks planet, the one with Earth-like conditions. So if they have Earth-like conditions, how would life evolve? Is the human race a matter of happy accidents, deliberate genetic manipulation by E.T., or what? And if similar species evolved on other planets, maybe it's the most logical one for advanced technology, well, then we would expect that our visitors look like us substantially. You know, Gene, every couple of years, there seems to be a new study that comes up from me. I put up air quotes from an expert. And that's not to say that there aren't some very very talented astro, you know, biologists and physicists and astronomers who weigh in on this. But when it comes to the ideas about extraterrestrials, what form they would really take, what evolutionary path they would have followed to get there, I mean, there are people who are experts only so far as what we can expect based on our encounters with life on Earth, right? To try and say somebody is an expert on alien life is an almost absurd proposition considering how much bona fide extraterrestrial biology we have encountered and that is known to science and that is you know removed from the realm of conjecture. So all of that said, every couple of years I'm always chuckling when, I, when one of these studies comes out and says, you know, a scientist has now argued that it is most likely that if we encountered aliens – they would resemble humans. They would indeed be humanoid because evolutionarily this is simply the shape that makes the most sense. And then, you know, another two years comes along somebody who's saying, no, it's impossible that evolutionarily 
intelligent, advanced life, if humans were ever to encounter it, it, you know, there's no chance that it would resemble us. There's almost no likelihood that they would have followed the same evolutionary path of life on Earth and therefore would be recognizable to us in terms of what life we are used to experiencing here and encountering on this planet. The real takeaway for me there is that we don't know. We have no idea. And virtually every argument has been made and every counter-argument has been made in a perpetually contradictory fashion. And so what I try to keep in mind when I look at some of these UAP encounters where people have seen you know, individuals outside the craft, a good example, you know, one to kind of gauge this by, I would say, is the uh, Socorro, New Mexico encounter of Lonnie Zamora. It's a very non-sensational case. Here we have a police officer. He saw this craft that was landed, which really in a lot of ways kind of resembles the so-called Tic Tac. He sees them from a distance, but he observes two occupants that are outside the craft on the ground. And although it's at a distance, he is able to see from body language that they appear to be a little startled when he noticed them. And they somehow get back on board the craft. He didn't see how they actually went on board. He didn't say they climbed up a ladder and there was this hatch that they had to screw open and then shut behind them. You know, I don't think that Lonnie Zamora got a close enough look that he saw how they got back on board that craft. But when he described them, he said they were humanoid and they were kind of small. From the distance that I saw them, they appeared to be kind of smaller. I initially thought maybe they were teenagers. And, of course, he also thought that the craft he was looking at, given his somewhat limited frame of reference, he had never seen a UFO before. So when he gets up there to the top of the Arroyo and he sees this object, he's thinking, you know, cars turned over or something over there. But I think that's a good case, you know, from the classic era to kind of, you know, use as a as a staple in terms of these kinds of landed UFO and, and occupant sightings, because even Hector Quintanilla, who was famously more on the skeptical side of things in terms of Blue Book leadership from over the years, even he had said, look, you know, this is a good case and we can't explain this When The Air Force has looked at this. We've sent people down there and we don't have an explanation. We do think that Lonnie Zamora is a very good witness. He's a very credible witness. Here's what he said he saw. In unsensational terms, we're not seeing little green men or alien greys with big bulbous heads. They were humanoid, and they were wearing light-colored suits, and they were outside the craft. And so if we look at sightings like that, there are actually quite a few from over the years that are, are remarkably similar in description to what you know, Zamora said that he saw. You know What that represents, I don't know, but I mean, I'm open, as open as maybe we should be, to the possibility that if these are from here, those might have been people. If they aren't from here then maybe we should be open to the idea that evolutionarily on other planets, life would be very much like what we expect to see here on Earth because those are very functional forms. And indeed, the humanoid shape may be, throughout the universe, one of the most practical shapes that a life form can take in terms of reaching a position of being able to be intelligent and being able to manipulate tools in the furtherance of technology. Maybe that does make sense, right? Don't forget the creatures that Barney and Betty Hill encountered. Yes, indeed. Yeah, they did. And their description is interesting because although most would say, well, you know, they were under hypnosis. And so how sure can we be about what they described? And some of Betty's memories, even before hypnosis, seem to be derived from dreams that she had. That's true. But I mean, we also have to keep in mind that Barney Hill, as they were driving along that night and they observed this object for, I mean, quite some time before they ever claimed to have driven off the side of the road and met the occupants. I mean, Barney Hill observed the craft hovering at an angle over a field through his own pair of binoculars that he was wearing. You know, listeners at home who are familiar with the story may remember him famously saying that he was so frightened that he brought his uh, binoculars down and broke the strap on the binoculars, right? 
But he had been frightened because he had been looking at what appeared to be a humanoid standing in the window looking down at him from this craft. So it seems to me that he was describing something that he certainly had seen and that which he said was apart from his memories that, you know, again, were were brought out in the hypno- uh, the hypnosis sessions with Dr. Benjamin Simon. And that also very distinct from Betty Hill's recollections and dreams. He did describe in his waking memory seeing humanoids aboard this UAP craft. You know, I would say that uh, probably of, of, of all the UFO occupant sightings, 99% at least have been reported as as humanoid and, you know sure there you know there'd be some differences you know hairy humanoids giant humanoids uh, but still humanoids i mean i i can't think of of any cases where people reported you know like a a, a giant octopus or or something along uh, those lines it's almost inevitably humanoid yeah that's a good point tim they usually are uh, in some cases they're described as being you know, larger than the average human uh, in some cases. And again, this going back to the 1970s, wasn't it Ted Phillips, I think, that for the Center, of U- uh, Center for UFO Studies, he compiled a, a, a document, an analysis of 1973 humanoid encounters. That's how many were occurring at that time. But among those, there were also some, you know, scattered reports of hairy kind of beings, uh, which more popularly, I guess, resemble what we would call Sasquatch. Again, I'm very, very hesitant to make any kinds of connections between those two purported phenomena. But back to your point, uh, Tim, yeah, generally the descriptions of the occupants in the credible cases involving UFO landings, I mean, they are generally described not only as humanoid, but I would actually say that in a fair number, maybe close to half or more that I've looked at, I mean, they even are sometimes described as essentially resembling humans, right? And that raises a lot of interesting questions. I know that John Keel kind of focused on that and the fact that they were often described as rather than being like beings or like, you know, humanoids, they were instead described by observers as foreigners. They were human, but they didn't look quite like anybody from around here, in other words. We're not sure where they might have been from, but they were, well, they were foreigners. Well, again, you know, to say that a person looks like they're, you know, from elsewhere is quite a bit different than to say, oh my gosh, it had huge eyes and it was, you know, again, there's a difference between a, that was a person and, oh, that was an it, right? And so I'm compelled by some of those reports where the occupants who get off these things are actually described as essentially just resembling humans. And then you have those cases uh, where people say, you know, it was just a guy in a military type suit. He had a flight cap on, the bill was turned up, his sleeves rolled up, and he you know, climbs into a hatch, gets on board the thing, silently takes off and, and goes. Let's go here. Tim, Gene, Micah. Micah, it's your turn. You're in. The Paracast. You are listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's legendary coupon code. They're offering substantial hosting discounts on shared hosting, business hosting, VPS hosting, reseller hosting, and even dedicated servers. Namecheap is preferred by millions. It's backed by a money-back guarantee. 
Use the coupon code LEGENDARY to cash in on the special deal at Namecheap.com, Namecheap.com. First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there is the coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream, a dream that turns out to be a nightmare, because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and the coming of the protectors. Find out more at rockoids.com. That's rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Hi, I'm Al Aberroa, founder of Knight Strategic Wealth. Inflation is picking up, markets are volatile, and the dream of a comfortable retirement is harder to attain than ever before. Nobody wants to run out of money in retirement. That's why I'm going to share something that your financial advisor doesn't want you to know. With our investment strategy, when the stock market goes up, you earn a market-linked return that locks in every year. And when the stock market goes down, your investments won't lose a dime. There are no unnecessary fees, and it works for your investments, money at a brokerage firm, or even money at a bank. It's simple, it's safe, and that's why savvy investors work with us. Want to learn more? Text free to 833-898-0500 and we'll send our retirement readiness kit directly to your phone right now. If you want to help build a retirement portfolio that will go up with the market and never lose money, get our retirement readiness kit today and see how this strategy can help secure your future. Text free to 833-898-0500. Text free to 833-898-0500. Get healthy, not high, with 100% pure CBD, powerful natural pain relief from Veterans Vitality. GCN listeners, have you ever thought about how CBD may help you? I'm sure you have heard about the many benefits of CBD. Well, here's your opportunity to try before you buy. Created by veterans and for everyone who deserves better choices, our CBD is derived from organic hemp, grown in the USA, and third-party tested. Veterans Vitality CBD saves you as much as 25 to 50% over our competition, and a portion of all sales is contributed to veterans nonprofits and events. Many of our customers have experienced improved quality of life, help with anxiety, PTSD, and overall well-being. Our products do not contain THC. They are safe, non-addictive, effective, and 100% legal. GCN listeners, get your free trial bottle of premium CBD by simply paying shipping and handling at GCNFreeCBD.com. That's GCNFreeCBD.com. Again, GCNFreeCBD.com. Offered by Veterans Vitality Premium CBD. Extend your life with Extendovite. When your doctor tells you you have bad cholesterol or blockages in the arteries, what do you do? When diet and exercise is not enough, we try medications and hope for the best. For the last two decades, I have been telling people about a natural method to help solve these problems and more. Extendovite can help maintain cardiovascular health and lower blood lipid levels in adults. The seven herbs in Extendivite are known to work together synergistically to get the results we hope for. There are many testimonials on Extendivite's effect on circulatory-related ailments. Get Extendivite today to start your journey back to a healthier life. To order, call 1-877-928-8822 or visit heartdrop.com or see us on amazon.com. Extend your life with Extendovite. This is Jennifer Stein, executive producer of The Disclosure Dialogues. You're listening to The Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio.
the form and shape of UFO nuts. Micah Hanks, Gene Steinberg, Tim Swartz, and the question, of course, that we're asking here is the form and shape of ET. What do they look like? Then again, maybe they've created a race of robots to look like us to be more acceptable to us, or because they're so advanced, they could take on different shapes. You know, back, like the movie Contact, the movie with Jodie Foster, Contact, where ET allegedly appears in the form of her dad because otherwise we couldn't accept what it looked like. Peter Robbins and I were talking together a number of years ago in New York, and I'd asked him about another interesting case, and this is a bit of an outlier, even though many consider it sort of one of those sort of cornerstones in ufology. And I I would, too, uh, for various reasons, I'm talking about the Travis Walton abduction experience. I've met Travis many times. Uh, He's always seemed very credible. Very little about his story has changed. Rather than it becoming more and more elaborate over time, if anything, I've seen Travis many times go out in his lectures to say, here's what really happened. Hollywood really embellished that story for the film version, tried to make it into a horror movie. I don't even think it was an abduction, I've heard him say. He says, you know, I I don't think it was an abduction. It was more like a rescue mission because underneath this craft, the thing, you know, zapped me. I don't think that was intentional. And they probably saved my life, whoever was on board that craft. Which brings us, of course, to the descriptions of the occupants. We know about fire in the sky and how the encounter with E.T. was sensationalized. And I think, as I recall, what Tracy Torme, the producer, said on the Paracast is that they were told by the studio they had to change that because otherwise it would be too much like some other movies. So it was a creative decision on the part of Hollywood, which quite often makes creative decisions that have nothing to do with factual content. Yes, indeed. I've, I've spoken at least uh, maybe once or twice with, with Tracy about that at various conferences where we've run into each other over the years. And I've also seen a version of it that was that there had been the original screenplay of the film, right? But that the screenplay, which was based on Travis's actual experience, you know, the producers were like, ah, this just won't be scary enough. You know, we're going to have to, you know, change things around. And so they did. But all that said, in the actual account that Travis gives, which is you know presented in his book, he not only describes seeing what we would popularly call grays. And again, an, an interesting side note with regard to that is that they weren't really the stereotypical description that we receive of you know the gray skin, the completely black you know almond shaped eyes. The descriptions that he gave, and also the illustrations, the renderings in the book. They seem to have pupil dyes in that case, which was always interesting to me. Almost as interesting as the fact that after his initial waking up and encountering immediately these smallish beings that were more like the alien greys of popular mythology, then a man in a spacesuit of some kind, a tight-fitting you know, suit with a sort of helmet, comes into the room, doesn't say anything, leads him out of the room. I've often wondered about that uh, case because here you had a, a unique blend of two different kinds of beings that Travis said that he encountered, and and this coming from one of the most, again, seemingly credible cases on record. So Peter and I were talking about it one day, and, and I said, you know, Peter, how do you rectify that? How do you reconcile the two different individuals on board the craft? And he said, you know, I've, I've wondered sometimes if initially when Travis woke up, what he saw, again, the aliens, what very much seemed like aliens to him, were how they really appeared and that he's in shock and thereafter when he says a person comes and leads him off the craft and he thereafter encounters what look like people to him, 
that this is his own mind trying to reconcile with what, he, what he's seeing in a way that seems less frightening to him. They're kind of in keeping with what you're describing there, Gene. You know, that, that's interesting interpretation. We might also say that what if there were a technology that would allow them to make themselves look different so that a human would you know, feel less intimidated by what they were experiencing. That's another interpretation. Another interpretation might simply be that there were two different kinds of beings on board that craft. But here again, back to Tim's point, they're all humanoids. This is an interesting area in terms of historical ufology for me because in this modern dialogue, people seem to have, I mean, almost like a nonsensical aversion to wanting to discuss the idea of occupants. But this isn't the first time in history that that's happened. If we go back to the early days of NICAP, Again, the National National Investigations uh, Committee on Aerial Phenomena, they were also very you know, hesitant to get into discussion of humanoid encounters for a time. But then by the time the UFO evidence comes out and they're presenting what they are considering some of the best cases that they had collected and that were available on the record, then we start seeing you know, some of these humanoid encounters. The famous – what was it? The Cisco Grove encounter was one of those involving a hunter who had – been lost and he starts signaling to an object that he thinks is a helicopter and then he hears something you know whacking through the bushes making its way up the hill he thinks that there's some people on the way up the hill and initially he sees these two people he said in these kind of jumpsuits kind of light colored suits it was dark out but he didn't describe any kind of strange features just so that there were people and then this other individual comes up the hill and he describes it as a robot that sort of belches this gas that would cause him to almost black out and he ended up using his belt to strap himself to this tree he was up in and he was wearing his normal clothing underneath his hunting gear and he started removing the hunting gear and lighting fire to it and dropping it to try and get these beings to leave him alone that was his story this eventually ends up actually being included in a NICAP publication and so historically there's an interesting parallel there where early on both NICAP and also Blue Book because again they would often say that if they were were given, and I remember Jacques Vallée complaining about this in his writings over the years. Blue Book investigators, when they received uh, occupant reports, they immediately put those in the psychological category. You know, they they, did, they didn't give me any actual consideration. They they wouldn't take those seriously. So we seem to have kind of come full circle back to that attitude among people, where if someone says that they have had an experience where there is a human, or if we even look at the historical cases and entertain the possibility that there are actual beings, occupants who are controlling some of these craft, they act like that's crazy. But at some point, we may have to really look at that and try to do so as soberly and sanely as possible if we were to try and understand the totality of what UAP represents. You know, there may have been an aversion uh, in the United States to uh, uh, taking a serious look at uh, occupant sightings, but you look at the 1953 uh, UFO flap, especially in uh, France and, and Spain, where there were hundreds of UFO occupant sightings. And, you know, I mean, this was really early on in the whole uh, modern UFO era. I mean, you know, we've got all these cases today, yet a lot of it was virtually ignored here in the States. Indeed, I think that different, you know, countries and and different investigative groups at times in different eras throughout the years, I mean, they have all kind of approached the problem a little differently in their own unique ways. Uh, I think uh, if we think about the early work done by Aimé Michel, of course, you know, the famous French ufologist and really a pioneer who had been very influential on, on uh, Dr. Vallée's work and others. You know, we, we see a lot of, I think, open-mindedness because at that time people were saying, hey, this seems to be a new phenomenon. 
it's just a matter of time before we figure out what this is and we'll learn maybe the hard way whether this is just a survey of this planet or if indeed they are about to invade. Uh, when you go back and you read Forbidden Science, where Valet was, you know, again, in the early years, 1950s and 60s, talking about this and how his colleagues would come to him uh, and on one occasion one had said, you know, I think that the invasion could be imminent. I mean, we are looking at virtually any day. And I think it's hard for the modern researcher, that's, you know, especially the more skeptically inclined one. And I try to be very skeptical myself when when warranted. But it seems difficult to look back for many of us today. Granted, I wasn't born in 1973, so it's especially difficult for me to look back to a year where we had a sightings wave that was so historic, so many sightings, so many alleged encounters, so many sightings of these occupants, humanoids, you know, abduction cases like the Pascagoula incident, of course, was logged that year, and a lot of others, too. Uh, it's, it's difficult to look back and see how much activity was happening then and compare that with today. And again, I've seen in recent years a lot of researchers prior to 2017 especially saying – Where'd all the UFO sightings go? We seem to be in a lull. And then the military comes out and starts saying, oh, no, actually, if anything, there's been an uptick in sightings of things, surveilling airspace, controlled airspace, and we want to get to the bottom of who might be controlling these things. And so it's interesting to see the military civilian researchers in recent okay. years. It's, it's easy to see, I think, the way that modern researchers uh, look at this and they say, you know, what happened to all of the sightings? And then the military coming around and saying, oh, no, you know, we actually see more of these things than we ever have. Uh, that's that's kind of a paradox, in my opinion, and I find it a little strange. It must be kind of difficult uh, for many people to reconcile with the, again, on the one hand, some claiming in recent years, oh, sightings seems to have really kind of fallen off the map. We don't see things like what we were experiencing back in 1973 versus the military saying, actually, due to the apparent increase in sightings, we're really stepping up our game. We want to get to the bottom of what these things are. We've got more to come with Micah, Gene, and Tim. You're in the Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. Attack of the Rockoids has been well-received by critics and readers alike. It's a -a thrill-a-minute story you'll never forget. A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space. But the dreams turn out to be true and thrust him into a telepathic love affair with a woman whose faraway planet is intent on destroying the Earth. And now the gripping tale continues in The Coming of the Protectors. It's the second book of the Rockoids trilogy, a galaxy-spanning adventure that pits our hapless heroes against powerful, fanatical enemies that threaten the lives of freedom-loving beings everywhere. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors, classic science fiction at its best, available now. For more details, visit rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Jake was in big trouble with the IRS. He owed how much? $92,000. Ouch. The IRS left no room for Jake to breathe. They put a lien on my house, took all the money out of my bank account, took money out of my paychecks. So it was a nightmare. He needed help fast. I figured that all these companies were the same until I called federal tax management. 
You could just tell they knew what they were talking about. Right then and there, I felt like I had some hope. Stop the liens, levies, and garnishments fast and qualify for one of several special IRS programs that could reduce or even eliminate your tax debt. So, how did it go for Jake? They did what they said they would do. They came through for me. I ended up saving an unbelievable amount. I was so jazzed. I was extremely happy. If you owe more than $10,000 in back taxes, take Jake's advice. Give Federal Tax Management a phone call. If they help me, they can help anybody. Call the Federal Tax Management hotline now 800-503-8625-800-503-8625-800-503-8625 welcome back to the paracast the gold standard of paranormal radio and now here's gene steinberg We continue the final third of the episode of the Paracast, but Micah Hanks will be right back with After the Paracast for a spell. And we're talking here about, number one, the form and shape of UFO knots and lots of other subjects, trying to understand what's going on. You want to pick up where we left off, Micah? Yeah, most certainly. Again, you know, looking at the historical sightings waves like 1973, And how much activity was happening at that time as compared with prior to 2017, how many people would have said, oh, you know, we don't have UFO sightings like we used to. This seems to have been a thing of the past. And in fact, in maybe 2013 or 2014, I remember there being a few articles that were actually coming out that were saying, you know, UFO sightings, is ufology dead? I mean, people don't seem to have these sightings like they used to claim that they had especially sociologists and people who were putting this forward and who were providing popular commentary on the idea that, you know, maybe this was just sort of a fad that was influenced by the sci-fi, especially in motion pictures during the 1970s. But with the rise of the Internet and the availability and accessibility of credible information, many people seem to be less inclined to believe in UFOs. Good sightings seem to have tapered off. Yeah, around the same time that those claims, of course, were being made and that many were arguing that very point, apparently our military had in 2004 had one of the most credible UFO encounters in recent memory. I'm referring to the Nimitz incident. In 2014 and 2015, the USS Roosevelt, of course, was involved in training operations out there off the East Coast, during which famously Ryan Graves had said that these objects would be out there all day. Uh, So... It seems that during the very period where many had been saying, you know, these sightings don't seem to occur very much anymore, you know, our military was still having these encounters. And that's also interesting to me on account of the fact that the military, having had no stated interest at that time, as recently as 2015, the Department of Defense website had a fact page about UFOs. Literally, it leads off and says, as you may know, uh, DOD no longer investigates this issue. And then they give a brief history of Project Blue Book. Well, very much to the contrary, not only were Navy personnel having encounters as recently as 2014, 2015, and even all the way back to 2004, but we now, of course, also know that we had this situation going on with uh, the uh, OSAP program being managed out of a combat support agency of the DOD, that being the Defense Intelligence Agency. Yeah, it seems that not only were UFO sightings still occurring, but perhaps some of the better ones were actually being logged by the military. 
even though there does seem to be an uptick of UFO sightings, it, it seems like the uh, uh, reports of landed craft with uh, occupant sightings has diminished greatly. I've collected a lot of cases over the last few years of people seeing unusual looking people kind of like you know intermingling you know they'll, they'll see somebody with you know like weird eyes and weird skin you know at a, a you know local a bodega or, or, or things like that but the overall ufo occupant sightings does seem uh, to have decreased but at least as far as civilian encounters right mm, yeah uh, therein lies the paradox you know why is it that the military claims that it has experienced more encounters and has been more forthcoming than it has been in decades uh, on those points whereas civilian sightings even law enforcement at one time back uh, you know several decades ago it was fairly common that law enforcement would say that they had seen uap we mentioned lonnie zamora but he not certainly not being the only case uh, involving this, but when we look at the instances involving UAP from over the decades and the credible encounters by civilians and even law enforcement, and then we compare that to how often these kinds of reports are made today, it is rather strange that there are so few, if indeed the prevalence of the phenomenon is comparable to what we observed decades ago. And that, that's you know been a problem personally I've wondered about. And I know that other researchers have actually brought that up as well. Nick Redfern has written about that on a few occasions himself. Somebody made it, uh, and I wish I could remember who this was, made an interesting point that the phenomenon does seem to operate in, in waves and that possibly the position of our solar system as it uh, circles around the galaxy may have something to do with that, like possibly we enter areas where there is uh, a different influence, and I'm not talking about, you know, we're closer to, you know, other solar systems and then we're visited by extraterrestrials who are closest to us, but almost along the lines of maybe uh, interdimensional interactions due to our position uh, in the galaxy. That, that also brings something else to mind, uh, Tim, the idea that I even think that Sagan may have touched on this at one point, but the idea that in the ancient past, extraterrestrial visitation to Earth would have been more likely on account of the fact that if we, you know, assume that the universe is according to the general, you know, idea of the Big Bang, I guess that that name actually it comes from Fred Hoyle. But paradoxically, Fred Hoyle had been a, a critic of the idea of the Big Bang. But that notwithstanding, if we take into consideration the idea that the universe is expanding in the very ancient past – even though that would have been maybe a blink of the eye, right, in terms of the age of Earth. But the universe would have been smaller, and the distance between localities in this universe would have been less than it is, for instance, today. And so some have argued that if ever Earth was visited, it would have made more sense that it happened long ago because the relative distance between locations, you know, Earth and another planet, for instance, would have been less to traverse at that time than it would be today. I've looked at just about every idea in terms of likelihood what might facilitate, uh, you know, travel from distant, you know, universe or, or rather from distant galaxies, time travel, dimensionality, and and it's it's difficult sometimes to even wonder. But I guess that we can get to a point where we're speculating about this in terms of what seems likely, what seems possible or plausible. It does us very little good. At the end of the day, what we're left with are some accounts that seem to be very credible that do describe observations of occupants, and there appears to be a technological 
phenomenon, UAP, associated with it, which is certainly nothing new. You know, again, on the subject of paradoxes, here's another strange one that's come to light. I've actually seen some people in recent years try to say things like, UFOs used to be folklore, but now all of a sudden they're real because the military is studying them, which probably means the military is actually cooking up all these technologies. These are probably our stuff. And now UFOs are real. And I'm thinking, no, that's a very convenient way to explain away decades of sightings that people had had. And arguably in that historical body of information that's been collected, some of the better cases that have been recorded over time actually occurred in that era that now the military and even many civilian investigators seem to wish to uh, – you know, ignore and pretend like it doesn't exist or it never happened, which is problematic. I think we've got to take a holistic approach in the sense that we don't, you know, take every case at face value. Yes, be skeptical. Yes, be critically minded. But we've got to look at this phenomenon in its totality, and we have to acknowledge those old reports. And if you even go no further than Project Blue Book and say, let's look at what the, you know, just government data, even that would, would you know, would, would account for a lot of information that currently it seems that our government simply isn't paying attention to. And again, it's great if we're only looking at the data that, for instance, as some analysts have said, well, we've got better toys now. We're better equipped to study this. So why shouldn't we look at the best information we now are collecting based on the sensory capabilities of the Navy and other you know, branches of the military and government that are looking at this? Sure, that does make sense to an extent, but – that still seems to me like we're leaving out an awful lot of very important, potentially important data that should be you know, brought into the larger analysis that we are hoping to conduct, where I think at least should be conducted. And that's one of the things that uh, uh, really irritates me is the seemingly um, ignorance, maybe, of uh, from the media and and the military, at least what they're currently saying, on the whole past the ufo past uh, uh you know so much information that has been gathered over the years that is uh, has been cast aside i mean it's it's like you know they're they're tic tacs and they're either um uh, uh, top secret technological aircraft from either here or from another foreign country or they're extraterrestrials nothing in between <laughs> we've got more to come with Micah and Gene and Tim, you're in the Paracast. Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's legendary coupon code. They're offering substantial hosting discounts on shared hosting, business hosting, VPS hosting, reseller hosting, and even dedicated servers. Namecheap is preferred by millions. It's backed by a money-back guarantee. Use the coupon code LEGENDARY to cash in on the special deal at Namecheap.com, Namecheap.com. First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there is the coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream, a dream that turns out to be a nightmare, because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and the coming of the Protectors. Find out more at Rockoids.com. That's Rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S, dot com. 
Now with orders to stay at home, public health concerns, the reality of illness due to pathogens and viruses, your health is at an all-time high risk. That's why it's critical to take a proactive approach to boost your immune system. You can with new nano-colloidal silver from AmeriCare. Our patented process with tiny silver particles, one one-hundredth the size of a red blood cell, allows for maximum body absorption. AmeriCare's nano-colloidal silver effectively disinfects your body internally, attacking pathogens and viruses while supercharging your immune system. Colloidal silver is antibacterial and antiviral. Simply put, it prohibits bacterial respiration, suffocating viral cells, preventing the virus from replicating. And now, due to public health concern, AmeriCare is authorized to offer our lowest and best price ever, around a dollar a day, but supplies are limited. Purchase nano-colloidal silver now at immunesupportnow.com. That's immunesupportnow.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Supplies are limited. You've been hearing Dr. Wallach talking about 90 essential nutrients, keeping the body healthy. GCNteam.com now has Beyond Tangy Tangerine Tablets, 60 plant-derived minerals, 16 vitamins, 12 amino acids, packed in a powerful tablet. But that's not it. 160,000 auric points, a knockout punch to free radicals. Call 877-878-4203 or go to GCNteam.com. That's 877-878-4203. You don't sit behind a desk every day to earn a living. You're out and about making it happen. And sometimes you get a little bit behind on your paperwork, you know, like bookkeeping and paying your taxes. It's easy to get behind on paying your taxes. It happens to the best of us. And you know what happens next. The big bad IRS comes knocking on your door. And when that happens, you need to call the good old boys at the tax doctor. Let them do what they do best. Deal and negotiate with the IRS so you pay the lowest you can in back taxes that the law allows. We are a 100% U.S.-based company, and we've saved our clients millions over the years in back taxes. If you owe $10,000 or more in back taxes, call my friends right now at the tax doctor and learn more. 800-932-5140. 800-932-5140. 800-932-5140. That's 800-932-5140. Frustrated trying to get business capital? Want to take the slow process and rejection out of the equation? GCNloans.com removes the slow, irritating approval process. Instead, get quick, simple funding. Powered by David Allen Capital, 80% of our pre-qualified clients are approved in days. Pre-qualify at GCNloans.com and get your money this week. It's that easy. GCNloans.com. That's GCNloans.com. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. Micah Hanks is joining us. Tim Swartz, our special guest co-host. I'm Gene Steinberg, and you're not. In any case, Micah... One of the considerations here is they want to wipe away the entire history of the past, but how does this comport with the theory on the part of a lot of people in the UFO field that the government knows all the answers, they have known all the answers, or a substantial amount of those answers, and therefore this current project or the various projects they've had for UAP investigation, they're all smoke screens? 
Right. Again, it's interesting where the conspiracy theories begin to emerge in this dialogue because for many decades, you know, the government knows what's happening. They know the ultimate truth of the UFO phenomenon and whatever's behind it, but they are withholding that information from the public. Now, if we go back a few decades, people would say, you know, the real UFO mystery is being studied by civilians, and we want to know what the government knows. They probably know a lot more than what they're letting on. Then with the establishment of the Freedom of Information Act, people actually begin to get access to the information, at least small amounts of it, that government has collected. And they begin to see that, yes, the government has had an interest in this, but maybe they haven't collected as much data as we thought that they had. Some would still look at that and say, well, that isn't indicative of what the government really knows. These are just the bits and pieces that they have released to us. And to an extent, that's true. If we look back to the 1980s with the uh, Citizens Against UFO Secrecy lawsuit against the NSA, the NSA, of course, for, for various reasons, including protecting their sources, their methods, ways, and means, they didn't release the bulk of the UAP data that they had. They only released a small part of it, and that only after initially denying that they ever had any. As we have seen in the more modern discussion about UFOs, the modern conspiracy theorist tends to be the one who says this stuff actually is not from out there. This is all stuff that our government actually has or has created. They're the ones who are in control of this. They are acting like they have suddenly taken interest in this and that they are investigating these aerial incursions and that they have a degree of concern about it. They have released reports that indicate that they are worried about the national security challenges that UAP may represent and also the flight safety concerns, whereas, in fact, they are really behind this. And the only reason that they would release certain amounts of information that seems to indicate that they are concerned for various reasons, I mean, this really is just as a way of covering up their own involvement. They are essentially trying to prevent us from knowing to what extent they are actually behind the sum total of UFO phenomena or UAP uh, objects. And so when we see people who are perpetrating the mythology that extraterrestrial visitation has occurred for decades, those people are working in the furtherance of the government's attempts to cover up their actual involvement. And so it's interesting because you can kind of see the conspiracy theorists on both sides who one group believes that it's all the government, one group believes it's all aliens. Both groups tend to have one thing in common. that They think that the government is involved in some kind of cover-up, but neither of those groups of conspiracy theorists can agree on the reason for the cover-up. They both have slightly different perspectives, which are based on what? Honestly, they're based on their own biases in terms of their own presuppositions about what they think the phenomenon actually represents. One group saying this simply couldn't be ours, but the government must know more about the alien presence. And the other group saying this stuff couldn't be alien. It must be ours, however incredible that seems, and therefore they're doing everything they can to make us think it's aliens. It's a little odd sometimes. I, I would say that you know the best position to be in, for my own part, is to be in the middle. Try not to give yourself to some presupposition about what you think the phenomenon is, we should be credible, or I'm sorry, we should be critical, and we should also be skeptical of government, not take everything at face value or assume that they are always forthcoming with information that they have, and more importantly, information that civilians are requesting about what they know about UAP. We also should, to an extent, be willing to acknowledge that the United States government maybe in some ways less well-informed about the UFO issue than civilians are, having collected data only with regard to the concerns that government has, you know, national security, 
you know, protecting our airspace, what have you. Whereas civilians may say, you know, we're interested in this because A, it's interesting, B, because it may be scientifically important, C, because maybe it's a little frightening. You could go on down the list. But again, I think that the civilian reasons for studying UAP are more open, probably, honestly, of greater merit in terms of the furtherance of our scientific knowledge about the universe. The government has the best toys, if that makes sense. You know, they have equipment that happens to detect UFOs that all of us wish that we had. And yet the data that they collect, again, it may be in some cases that they are very interested in the data that they collect. But in the big picture, it seems that from what information we have gleaned, it is information that they collect and it is concerning in terms of and in relationship to national security. And it goes, you know, essentially no further than that. So, you know, I try to say I'm in the middle. The, the most beneficial place you can be as a person who doesn't leap to conclusions, but who looks at all the information, trusts nobody, but but also is willing to acknowledge perspectives and data when it is forthcoming. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's kind of tough at times. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think, and, you know, of course, you know, this is just my own observation that, you know, probably the military probably has some better information about UAPs you know, along the lines of, you know, like maybe gun camera footage and things like that, that, you know, we'll probably never see the light of day. But, uh, you know, I'm with you. I think ultimately they're just as much in the dark on the overall phenomena as the rest of us, but they're not going to admit it. And I think that is the big secret that they know that there's something going on, that there are unknown aircraft in our skies, but they can't admit that. I mean, you know, it, it, it's one thing, especially now, they could come forward and say, yeah, well, you know, there's uh, there's extraterrestrials out there. And, and I think most people now would be like, okay, yeah, cool. But if they would instead say, you know, we've got unknown aircraft in our sky. We don't know what they are. We don't know where they came from. We can't do anything to stop them. I think that would create more of a panic. And I think that is the big secret. I think that anybody expecting some kind of ultimate disclosure from the government is going to be disappointed, you know, because the big secret is, is that we've got no idea what's going on. Yeah, I think that that's about as close an approximation as, as we could gather. I mean, it's one of two things. Either the government knows that these objects exist, but they don't have a significant amount of data. Even if they do have a significant amount of data, it's not enough to determine provenance or, or you know, any kind of relationships, trends, motives, things like this that seem to be exhibited by the phenomena. Taking all these things into consideration – one of two things uh, is likely if, if that scenario is correct, then they say, well, you know, this is this is real, but there's nothing that we really can discern about it. So we can just essentially acknowledge it. Or if they know more than what I outlined there and like you were describing, Tim, if they have instances where these things have crashed, if the, if the crash retrievals have occurred, if there are really bodies in a hangar someplace, if there's a significant amount of information that is, I mean, in the deepest levels of secrecy within government and is being withheld, and they're like, we know what these things are, we're disturbed by that, we don't know what we can do about it, therefore the last thing we're going to do is tell the public. More to come with Micah, Gene, and Tim, you're in The Paracast. <laughs> Thank you for listening to GCN. 
Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. If you're concerned about the power grid and want to generate your own supply of off-grid electricity, this will be the most important message you'll hear this year. Here's why. We now have a small number of solar generators back in stock. These emergency backup systems provide life-saving backup power when you need it most. And unlike gas generators, solar generators run quietly, emit no dangerous fumes, and produce an endless supply of free electricity from the sun. Whether it's wildfires, dangerous weather, power grid issues, or just getting off the grid, you'll never have to suffer through painful power outages again. Even better, all this week, radio listeners get over $700 in free off-the-grid bonuses, too. Go to MySolarBackup.com to learn more and check availability. That's MySolarBackup.com. Look for the free report, Crisis Cooling, how to make absolutely sure your meat, milk, and medicines stay safe and cool in any power outage. Yours free at MySolarBackup.com. USA Radio News with Dan Naraki. North Korean leader Kim Jong-un observed the test launch of a tactical guided weapon over the weekend, according to the country's state news agency. South Korean officials say that two projectiles were fired from the country's east coast into the Sea of Japan, traveling for about 70 miles. The North Koreans reported that the weapons system was connected to the country's nuclear program. Some evacuation orders in New Mexico have been lifted as crews continue to battle a wildfire that has already killed two people. The blaze in southern New Mexico began last week and quickly grew to more than 6,000 acres and has destroyed more than 200 homes in the area of the village of Ruidoso. And 12 people were injured Saturday in a shooting at a Columbia, South Carolina mall. Ten people were treated for gunshot wounds with eight victims hospitalized, two of them in critical condition. Police say they don't believe the shooting was a random act and a 22-year-old male is in custody in connection with the shooting. This is USA Radio News. Finland and Sweden announced this week that each would decide whether to join NATO in the next few weeks, prompting threats from Russia. Leaders in both countries have cited the Russian invasion of Ukraine as the catalyst for their reconsideration of their position with the Security Alliance. Former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo believes the countries will end up as NATO members. He tells Fox News that the current situation in Europe has clearly changed their perspective. I think they can see that being in the mushy middle, being in some place as Ukraine was, where it wasn't clear if the guarantees that had been made as part of the commitments in 94, the Budapest Memorandum, if they'd be real or not, I think those two countries can see that they are better to be with this powerful entity. And a group of businesses and residents in Philadelphia have filed a lawsuit challenging the city's renewed indoor mask mandate. The suit filed on Saturday argues that the city lacks the authority to impose the mandate that's set to go into effect on Monday. The group argues that health officials have overstepped their power and that state lawmakers have the authority to approve such orders. You're listening to USA Radio News. Did you receive a call or message that mentioned Social Security and demanded immediate action? Did the caller know your Social Security number or other personal information and tell you that your Social Security number had been used in connection with the crime? Did you feel worried that your Social Security number might be suspended, your bank account might be frozen or seized, or you could be arrested? That is not the Social Security Administration. Social Security will not threaten you, demand your personal information, or instant payment, email or text you pictures or documents, or use a real government official's name to gain your trust. Social Security does not accept payments by gift card, prepaid debit card, internet currency, or by mailing cash. Criminals use these forms of payment because they are hard to trace. Do not be fooled. Hang up. Ignore them. 
Report this criminal activity to the Social Security Administration Office of the Inspector General at oig.ssa.gov. Tormay, screenwriter, producer. You're listening to Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. We've got Micah Hanks, Gene Steinberg, and Tim Swartz, our special guest co-host. And we're talking about what the government may or may not know. Now, obviously, if there was really a crash at Roswell in 1947, all this stuff would be play acting. I kind of have the theory, though, that over the years, forgetting Roswell, that the military has basically tried to set it aside because, number one, they don't quite know what's going on, but it doesn't seem to represent a threat. And since their job is to deal with threats to this country, forget about the UFOs, pretend they don't exist. What do you think of that? Well, you know, again, there's merit to that argument. I mean, pretend the threat does not exist and go on with your life. I mean, If you acknowledge that there is something going on that is out of your control but does not seem to be an immediate threat to you, maybe that's the best thing to do. And again, you know, there have been many over the years who have essentially argued that that is the military's attitude, those who at least are in the know, when it comes to UAP. We know there's something there. There are challenges that this presents, but really there's little else that we can do about it. One might say that that, again, along with getting to a point of frustration and wanting to have, you know, wanting to be able to rid their hands of it, that this is essentially the point that the U.S. Air Force got to with Project Blue Book. And, uh, you know, there at the debrief.org recently, Chris Mellon did an article where he was arguing that the U.S. Air Force has essentially been AWOL with regard to its involvement with UAP. And he very methodically, and it's a very lengthy article, but well worth the read, Chris Mellon presents, you know, here are all the different kinds of technologies and the different elements within the U.S. Air Force and also areas uh, and technologies through which they are obtaining information about things happening in our skies that should indicate to them reliably if there are UFOs operating in our airspace, which, again, since the Navy says this is happening so much, if they encounter them as frequently as they do, it would seem very hard to imagine that the U.S. Air Force has no such encounters, right? Navy servicemen and women say these things are out there almost every day. There seems to be a rise in encounters. People are seeing them more. We've got equipment that's detecting them more. Air Force, oh, you know, funny, we haven't seen any of those. Yeah, right. Come on. It's very obvious they must have these encounters as well. But in terms of why they have been AWOL, I think this probably goes all the way back to Blue Book. The Air Force worked very hard in 1966, 67, and 68 to end its involvement with UFO investigations and to try to do so in a way that even though many would call it anything but honorable, I mean, they didn't just quit. They didn't just stop. They handed off the Blue Book data and other data that had been collected to a a, a team of scientists at the University of Colorado. Uh, This team of scientists was led by Edward U. Condon. It was anything but an unbiased program. I mean, David Saunders wrote this book called UFOs, Yes. And it's a little harder to get these days, but anyone who's interested in that history involving what was happening at that time, some of the problems that arose with the Condon Committee, some of the biases among the committee members, what eventually led to a bit of a a schism between them, Saunders was actually let go from the project. 
And then some of the project members were only involved right there at the very tail end of the project before it was completed. And they finished their report and issued that to the public, which, of course, what did it conclude? Well, in most cases, we can offer explanations. There are some residuum of UFO sightings that remain unexplained. But in the end, in summation, we can only say that we don't see any benefit to science in the further study of UFOs. And further, if the military thinks that it needs to continue to study these things, our advice to them is you shouldn't. Because, again, science isn't being benefited in any way currently from UFO studies. So, if anything, what the Air Force seemed to be trying to do was to get scientists to say this is a fruitless effort, to say that before the Air Force got out of the game. So then, of course, in 1969, they did close down Blue Book. But it seems pretty evident that the U.S. Air Force wanted that to happen, and thereafter they wanted no involvement in investigating this issue, which again comes back to the earlier point. Nobody ever said investigating UFOs was an easy task, and the Air Force learned that the hard way. So no doubt they are so absent in the modern UFO dialogue. It's probably the last thing that they'd want to get involved with again. It's that like the kicking and screaming argument. <laughs> yes, and it very well may be the case that they are dragged back into this, albeit kicking and screaming, probably will only be able to avoid this for so long. In fact, uh, Robert Powell had done a uh, an op-ed there for us at the debrief.org. Air Force serviceman who had said that he had recently been brought in, that there was a, a very short briefing where he and other pilots had basically been you know, told, yes, there have been sightings of these objects like the Navy has done. We are also encouraging pilots to you know, formally report what they see. There is now a formal reporting structure in terms of how you report this. And we want to hear what you guys are seeing because this is a national security issue. So, again, they may not be saying as much about it publicly, but if what Robert Powell and others have been told is any indication, I mean, it does seem that some members of the, of the Air Force – are actually being made aware and brought to attention about the UAP issue. And again, that may be a small step, but it's progress nonetheless. You think after all these years. But let me ask you a question here, though, going back to what the military may or may not know. Do you believe that there is a silence group, that there has been an agency within the government that has known all this all along, and they you know, choose for whatever reason not to communicate with the temporary occupants of the White House and other agencies. You know, there have been many who have argued that not just during the years of Blue Book, because, of course, you know, back during Blue Book's investigations, there were some who had been arguing that not only does the Air Force know more than it's letting on. Uh, I know that Jim and Coral Lorenzen had argued that the CIA might be the, the supreme architects that are actually behind UFO investigations. Um, I don't know that that was necessarily proven, but as far as there being a silence group, you know, nothing has probably come to light that clearly indicates uh, a group that is actively trying to stifle information. What has absolutely been proven, though, I think, and, and the sad story of Paul Benowitz is probably the best evidence of this, there have been members of the Air Force, especially with the Air Force Office of Special Investigations, uh, who have – you have been – how would I phrase this? They've been opportunistic apparently with UFO interest among civilians when it can benefit their efforts to control people's ideas and attitudes. And again, I have to re refer to the fantastic film uh, based on the fantastic book by Mark Pilkington, Mirage Men. Uh, much of that work also drawing from work by guys like Greg Bishop with Project Beta 
and other uh, you know, analyses that researchers have done over the years. Uh, I've talked with Greg a lot about this over the years, as well as Mark Pilkington. And in that film, what we see is, you know, uh, the former special agent, uh, uh, Mr. Doty, sitting there telling everybody exactly what he did uh, and how it affected people like Paul Benowitz and others. In that case, uh, you know, when you've got a, a person like like Rick Doty who comes along and and who says it was my job to misinform people. And this, again, in the fervence of national security. But now I'm just an interested party and I go to UFO events and I'm, you know, because I'm interested in this. That may well be true, but that doesn't really help we here in the civilian populace who are a little wary of whether the government's involvements and its intentions and its stated positions are all what they indicate or what they claim that they are. You know, those of us who are a little wary, that really does little to help us in terms of our issues with these theories from over the years. So if there is a silence group... I wonder if it is so much, you know, an effort to try and suppress people actually looking into talking about engagement with or collection of data about UAP so much as it is an effort to steer the narrative about that. The latter being something that there is absolutely evidence for. You know, when it comes to Rick Doty, we had him on the Paracast a couple of three years back. And he's a personable gentleman, speaks well, and I don't believe anything of what he's saying. It sounds like he's telling stories. And maybe he did do disinformation stuff when he was part of the Air Force Office of Special Intelligence, whatever. On the other hand, I think he might also just be making things up to look prominent. And that's why they allow him to do it, because he doesn't hurt them. He's just some kind of wacko living on a government pension. And let him talk. Because if he says something and we tell him to stop, it's only going to draw more attention to him. Micah, Gene, and Tim, you're in the Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Hey, listeners. I want you to have the entire Paracast experience. So I'd like to tell you about After the Paracast. After the Paracast is an exclusive feature for subscribers to the Paracast Plus. With After the Paracast, you never know what's going to happen next. After the Paracast features color commentary, special interviews, and further conversations with Paracast guests. With Paracast Plus, you can download a very special enhanced version of the Paracast also. We do offer exclusive music, videos, and more features are coming. To get more info about subscribing, please visit theparacast.plus. Once again, theparacast.plus. Prices are just $1.50 a week, less than a cup of coffee at your local convenience store. Check out theparacast.plus to learn more about Paracast Plus. If you're like most Americans, you're pretty much in disbelief with what's going on in the world. As we all know, global problems are having local consequences. Too many of them. And if the peanut butter really hits the fan, are you ready? Grocery store supply chains are only as strong as their weakest link. Don't wait for them to break. Now's the time to secure emergency food for everyone in your family. My Patriot Supply is America's largest preparedness company. Our specially packaged and delicious food stays fresh for up to 25 years in storage. It'll be there when you need it. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and pick up several emergency food kits. There are a dozen different sizes that average over 2,000 calories per day. 
Our food kits will ship quickly and discreetly to your door. Having food storage in your home beats government food lines hands down. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com today and prepare for what's coming. MyPatriotSupply.com Jake was in big trouble with the IRS. He owed how much? $92,000. Ouch. The IRS left no room for Jake to breathe. They put a lien on my house, took all the money out of my bank account, took money out of my paychecks. So it was a nightmare. He needed help fast. I figured that all these companies were the same until I called federal tax management. You could just tell they knew what they were talking about. Right then and there, I felt like I had some hope. Stop the liens, levies, and garnishments fast and qualify for one of several special IRS programs that could reduce or even eliminate your tax debt. So, how did it go for Jake? They did what they said they would do. They came through for me. I ended up saving an unbelievable amount. I was so jazzed. I was extremely happy. If you owe more than $10,000 in back taxes... Take Jake's advice. Give federal tax management a phone call. If they help me, they can help anybody. Call the federal tax management hotline now. 800-503-8625. 800-503-8625. 800-503-8625. Stop aging now. Restore those joints. Boost your strength. Because it's official. Nutramedical has released the most exciting, powerful anti-aging supplement on the market. Dr. Bill Deagle's Red Deer Velvet DR has been approved by the U.S. Patent Office. Imagine stem cell rejuvenation all in one capsule without huge expense. Dr. Bill MD discovered that as an unborn baby grows in the mother's womb, he or she does not deteriorate or physically age. Red Deer Velvet DR, like the uterus, provides 300 biomolecules and six hormones protected in one special DR capsule that delivers lipid packages directly into your circulation. This patented technology bypasses the stomach and is released into the small bowel unaltered by digestive enzymes and stomach acid. Remember, Red Deer Velvet DR, improve endurance, simulate your immune system, Increase learning ability and even improve sexual libido with Red Deer Velvet DR. Click NutriMedical.com. That's N-U-T-R-I Medical.com. Or call toll-free 888-212-8871 and get on the road to a newer, rejuvenated, happier you. This is Jacques Vallée. You're listening to the podcast the gold standard of paranormal radio. So what do you think of my perception of Rick Doty? Just telling tall tales? Well, you know, it's, it's hard to say because Doty is almost this sort of a liminal figure in all of this. And I, actually, I would put in a similar camp, Bob Lazar. You know, people who have made claims. Now, in Doty's case... It's interesting because Doty has come forward. My understanding is, I mean, it's it's known that he was, we know his record, we know his actual service record, we know where he worked, who he worked for. So, I mean, the question of him having worked in government isn't in dispute. What's in dispute and the point that you're raising is some of these other claims that he makes over the years, you know, are fairly outlandish. He's gone on, you know, late night radio and talked about you know, his knowledge of, of all kinds of things that seem to fall more into the kind of mythic area of the body of, of ufological lore. Is he just making some of this up? Or is this part of the disinformation effort? Again, if he is no longer a special agent, is he still in service to his government because of having once been involved hereafter forever? He is, he is still kind of obligated to go out there and stir the pot and seed misinformation when in, and where he's able to. I mean, again, I'm, I'm not sure. These sorts of liminal characters in this field who are always presenting information 
seemingly from an authoritative position, very seldom changing their stories and yet admitting to having lied like Dodie did. Bob Lazar has never admitted to having lied, but his claims have been challenged by many, no less among them, Stanton Friedman. It's, it's a strange space that guys like that occupy in all this, but that makes them the last ones to go to for authoritative accounts. I don't think that their testimony, interesting though it is at times, is ever going to the, you know the ultimate answers to the UFO issue that we're looking for. Yeah, it was uh, uh, Bodie that long after he had supposedly retired, they're pretty sure he was responsible for the whole uh, Project Serpo fiasco that uh, got to be popular in, in the you know, early 2000s. Yet at that point, he had retired, and, but uh, was still, as you said, out there stirring the pot. He said he absolutely was not involved with that. But again, there were independent researchers who said that they were able to you know, trace basically all of those email correspondences back to him. And they said that it was no question in their minds that he was clearly demonstrably the person who was behind all of it and had actually pretended to be several different sources of information in that entire affair, which, again, if you look at the actual claims, I mean, they're so outlandish that they should almost have been ruled out preemptively, and yet there have been books written about this and people who have continued to propagate that myth uh, when, in fact, I think that all the evidence points to Doty having actually been behind that, yeah. That's an interesting point. Myself and Sean Castile recently uh, put out a book that uh, we had started when Tim Beckley was still alive called Dulcie Warriors. One of the main points of this book is that all of this propaganda and disinformation that came out, especially around the time of Benowitz as being you know, seeded from Doty, so much of that has become ingrained in the modern UFO mythology, the whole alleged treaty between the United States and, and extraterrestrials, the agreement that we would allow them to abduct people, the myth that there are underground bases where people are disappeared to and are experimented on with uh, you know horrible genetic uh, sciences. I mean, that kind of stuff which emerged in the late 70s and early 80s, is still with us today. That is how much, that's the type of legs that this kind of disinformation has within the uh, uh, UFO UAP community. Yes, indeed. And disinformation, if that is what it is, and no doubt much of it is, you know, it's very effective disinformation, isn't it? Because it's still leading much of the narrative in the kind of fringe areas within this subject. Very good points, Tim. Well, and just recently, uh, John Lear passed away. And, mm -hmm. you know, he was one of these people that also had taken that disinformation football and really ran with it. I mean, just, you know, outside of the goalpost and, you know, into the next uh, uh, town. Uh, but uh, it's it's it always fascinates me how these people who who seem to have, you know, some kind of good uh, uh, credentials and, and, and credibility, um, are 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 able to put out this kind of information and uh, uh, really find uh, a lot of followers to it. I, I, I suppose it's a situation where people are getting what they want to hear. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that's an aspect of it. And I'm interested in this book that you're describing that you and Sean have put out, by the way. I'm going to have to follow up on that because I'm very interested in that era in history and, and the way that those little seeds of disinformation were planted. You know, maybe not always knowingly. I don't think that John Lear 
was someone who was knowingly propagating misinformation, but it's clear that he laid the groundwork for decades of supposition and mythology built onto the UFO subject that has probably done very little to aid uh, its presentation and recognition as a credible subject of inquiry. Well, I can really see, though, you know, when you look at all of this stuff, how then the Air Force would look at this and go, okay, we're done. Just throw their hands up and like, okay, we're not going to deal with this anymore. It's just too much of a quagmire and, and, and we have to get ourselves out of it. And that's a really interesting point. Really quickly, I'll just I'll just emphasize what you're saying. Matthew. Most would say that the Air Force is probably behind UFOs or they're trying to use it as a, you know, a kind of smoke screen to hide what they're really up to. What if their desire is simply to get out of UFO investigations so they plant misinformation and the most outlandish nonsense that they can so that when people start propagating that formula and saying, look, this is the reality, the Air Force can say this is silliness, guys. We're not going to even waste our time. It gives them a great escape route, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it really does. Of course, now, I've often wondered whether or not any of the stuff that had been collected, especially you know, uh, you know back in the uh, 50s and 60s, has been basically forgotten about, that the original people involved in all this have passed away and didn't share the information you know, with those who came after. You know, somewhere there is like the end of the first Indiana Jones movie. There are uh, locked cases in a warehouse somewhere that has been completely forgotten about. Or wouldn't that be something if the world's greatest, most enigmatic secrets are locked away in a warehouse, but the guy who had the key passed away and so we don't know which warehouse you know, file folder or what drawer they're locked away in. <laughs> That's warehouse 13, folks, okay? Along with the Ark of the Covenant. <laughs> yeah. yep. and, and the treasure of the Knights Templar. But it's not the Holy Grail. They left that there. <laughs> well, that's buried on Oak Island. <laughs> hey, Micah Hanks, tell our listeners where we can find more of your stuff. Yes, indeed. Uh, of course, you know, I am working currently as the editor-in-chief there at thedebrief.org. I produce a lot of podcasts right now. And, of course, I do, do a lot of freelance writing. I've got another project, actually a couple more projects uh, in the works. But you can learn all about all the work that I do and follow everything related to me at micahanks.com. That's where you can get my podcast and also read articles by yours truly. So all those roads lead back to micahanks.com. Check it out. Uh, and, of course, I'm always happy to hear from people. My email and other contact information is right there on the website. And you can find us on Twitter if you look for The Paracast. That's The Paracast on Twitter. The Paracast is also on Facebook with a fan club and a group. So it's a fan club as a community, and then it's a group, and it doesn't make any sense to me. We'll combine them one of these days when they decide to allow us to put theparacast.com on Facebook. Does it make sense to you? It doesn't to me. You can also get branded merchandise for the Paracast listeners, including four different logos to choose from, okay? Including a couple from our former co-host, Jay Randall Murphy. Go to the Paracast.shop. Once again, the Paracast.shop, where you find all these great selections, the t-shirts, the throw pillows, the caps, the mugs, with the logo of your choice at great prices, the Paracast.shop. We also offer a special subscription package, the Paracast Plus. At the Paracast.plus, we give you the show free of the network ads, 
Free of the Network Ads and the After the Paracast podcast, where Michael will be back for a while for uncensored conversation. Get it all for low subscription price at theparacast.plus, theparacast.plus, and listen to this. Limited time only. Use the coupon code UFO20, UFO20, for a 20% discount on five-year and lifetime subscriptions, theparacast.plus. Micah, thanks for joining us on the Paracast. Always a pleasure to join you guys. Great conversation. The Paracast, featuring Gene Steinberg, is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Tune in next week for a new adventure in The Paracast. <laughs>